This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Take a selfie rocking one of our shirts from TeePublic and use the hashtag CBCWorthy for a chance to win two free tickets to see Captain Marvel in theaters March 8th. Just click the Shop Comic Book Click link in our show notes to make a purchase or follow us on Facebook for more information. Remember, you are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you could only be here for one reason and that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comic book click and as always i am never alone sir please introduce yourself my name is peter melnick and i am the co-host of the marvelists the marvel universe podcast Peter Melnick is here in studio and looking as marvelous as ever, if I might say so myself. With my Star-Lord shirt. Hashtag Star-Lord did nothing wrong. I'm on the same boat, brother. You are preaching to the choir. And we he is here in studio for a very, very good reason because we talked last week about um, a great movie, uh, to Spider-Verse, Enter the Spider-Verse. If you haven't seen it, people, go out there and get to it. I've uh, seen it three times. I'm telling you, man, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's like a church experience. Um, and we've also Bagel. talked about <laughs> we've also oh that sound that sound bite is hilarious. We've also talked about um predicting what's to come with a lot of these uh comic book movies that are coming down the pike in 2019. But when we talk about the best of the best, we kind of have to even things out and talk about the worst of the worst. So today we'll be diving in a little bit on bad comic book movie sequels uh, and how they get that way. But before we do that, how the hell are you, Peter? I'm pretty good, pretty good. It is really rainy out there, but yeah, right. Happens. Yeah, yeah. New, the first weekend of the new year is a little bit dreary, but uh, we got some, uh, guess some some rays of sunlight because even through the water, you know who's really benefiting with all this water? My man Jason Momoa. My, my man. man. My man Jason Momoa. The movie with his dad. His old man. My old man. <laughs> and I'm a water man. Uh, Aquaman passes BBS to become the biggest DCEU movie ever at the box office. How do you feel about that? And did you expect uh, for this movie to hit as well as it did? How many millions of records has Nickelback sold? That I think that <laughs> answers my or answers that. But see, so Aquaman is the uh, Gangnam Style of, of DCEU oh movies. Is that what you? Dude, I just recently found my copy of Avengers Number One, the Deadpool Gangnam Style variant cover. I don't know why I own that. That's hilarious. But I have that. But see, I. I didn't care for Aquaman, and right. maybe I'm narcoleptic, but I did seriously fall asleep in the Black Manta fight. Yeah, they're trying. I I'm a Marvel guy through and through. I do I do a show called The Marvelists. This is true, and I, but I don't have a bias because I want to see these guys succeed. One of my all time favorite movies, The Dark Knight, Batman '89. I mean, we're seeing a trend here right now, but, right? <laughs> and of course, Superman. Superman is my favorite DC character. Yeah. And not that many people know that, but here we are. And I want to see them succeed. But it's it's like they're the bad news bears. Yeah. Like they're just I want them to get it eventually. Like they got it with Wonder Woman, but to be completely honest, Wonder Woman was kind of average. Yeah. But then again, 
I'm not a woman. I'm not, you know, being represented on the big screen. So I'm like, oh, whatever. But for like little five-year-old girl, 10-year-old girl, you know, 42-year-old woman, they're watching this movie. They're feeling empowered. Yeah. And that's their time. Let them be able to enjoy this, you know? So... I feel like Wonder Woman did what, what, what exactly what you were talking about. It, it um, inspired a whole a whole gender in many yeah. ways, but um, and that's a gender that a lot of people were saying were, was underserved. You have a little bit of a suspicion that that same gender is being targeted with this film. Am I correct? Just on the eye candy <laughs> level, yes. With my man, the Wrangler jeans commercial, uh, strutting Jason Momoa, <laughs> but. I like I think that's part of why that movie is doing so well. Like when I posted on Facebook, I mentioned a comment. I'm like, "Yeah, guys, uh, I fell asleep during it." They go, "Yo, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd, I'd be awake the entire time." And then I look at who it's you know commenting. I'm like, "Oh, this girl, this girl." Yeah, all right, makes sense. <laughs> is this the turn of the? I mean, I, uh, puns. Is this the turn <laughs> of the tide for, for the DCEU um, with uh, with Aquaman or is this another fluke in the sense where we got Wonder Woman which was critically acclaimed and broke records and then we got Justice League right after that. All of the, In my opinion all of these are going to do well because it's one a certifiable brand. Like all of them are really 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 popular. Like no matter what they're going to do gangbusters. But you also have the progression of the story you know there's going to be the people like with the marvel movies everyone's coming along for the ride to see what's next what's the next story just like you know people watch breaking bad every episode they watch they stayed on board for the ride they want to stay on board for this ride that makes sense and they they should be building on each other i mean that's what good sequels do we'll we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get on that in a bit but yeah dc seems to be uh kind of killing it because i guess after this aquaman will be shazam and that already looks like a, a I'm different taste. I'm low-key hyped for that. Yeah. Like, re- like I'll be. Uh, this is the kind of fanboy I am where I'm going to be going to the theater wearing a Captain Marvel hat from Marvel. Right, and right. And when I go see Captain Marvel, I'm going to be wearing my Shazam Big Red Cheese <laughs> shirt. So. What do you, what, um, what, who's your definitive Captain Marvel? Is it, is it Shazam or is it, uh. Honestly, yeah. Carol because I, I would have to go with, you know, Billy Batson, you know, the guy who's fighting the rock soon eventually. Yeah, right. Eventually, right? He's, he's coming somewhere sometime. I want, I hope he's at the end, like post credits. They got, ha- he got to be. To. He was, I felt like he was, um, on board before the director was on board. I feel like we've been hearing about The Rock and Shazam for like a decade now. I want to say, didn't they announce him 2014, 2015? It was, a, it was, yeah, because it was before BBS. I and remember that specifically. This is, they're like they're casting people in these movies like they're casting them for like you know getting drafted for a football team yeah like we're either going to be getting you know so and so going over to marvel they're going to get drafted to dc drafted to image somehow i don't know yeah. but all of these people like they're getting brought over to these different companies and then you see the defections yeah like zachary levy levi yeah levi, levi jeans whatever but he uh <laughs> You know, was a Marvel guy. Yeah, he was a Thor guy. And just such background, though. And then, boom, becomes the guy. Yeah, and that's all it takes sometimes. Um, you say Shazam you re- and you become Shazam. <laughs> you remember all that weird talk about Michael B. Jordan being cast as Superman. <laughs> like, yeah. we're just going to start uh, um, pilfering each other's each other's um, uh, stars and stuff and directors, right? Changing brands and stuff. This has become the, the attitude James era of... <laughs> like... Uh, you uh, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And then the next thing you know, he gets a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. But um, I really, really hope that 
this is for the kids. There doesn't seem to be much for kids nowadays in these streams of movies. Spider-Verse, again, like we spoke about, I think served that audience. But um, not everything is going to. Uh, it didn't look like BVS wanted to. It didn't look like Man of Steel wanted to. Wonder Woman did, but in a lot of ways, it had a very adult themes and a very adult... Um, how do you feel about how uh, Batman... No, not... Wow, why am I saying Batman? Anyway, Spider-Verse. <laughs> <got bad> <laughs> Spider-Verse going against Aquaman with yeah. Thor... The movie is not doing as well compared to, you know, Aquaman. Right. A lot of people are, like, believing, well, that's the reason is it's an animated movie. But then again, look at Coco. That did gangbusters. Yeah, that did, did really well. Incredibles 2 did, no pun intended, incredibly well. Why isn't Spider-Verse doing that? If I had to, like, legitimately, randomly, you know, try to uh, figure out what's going on, I would assume that when push comes to shove, if parents were taking their kids to see a Christmas, you know, like, in the Christmas uh, time, go to take them to a, a theater, they want something a little bit more for them. Yeah. So they choose the Aquaman because they think that they'll get more out of that than they would out of the animated, which kind of sucks because one of I my favorite it. films um, uh, of 2007 was Lego Batman. Which I think did I think did such a great job, um, as as Spider Verse did is almost a love letter to the character because you only can make the jokes that it does when you care about that character, know that character as much as you do. Isn't it great to say Zach Galifianakis is a great Joker? Yeah, right. Like that's such a weird <laughs> sense to say. And even Will Arnett, like considering that Bat voice, like you know, it, it, it's for a whole new generation. But I think. It does something that the other films don't, which is it has the ability to laugh at itself. Yeah. Aquaman laughed at itself a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of that too, with like, uh, should I pee on it and all the other kind of stuff that's going on there. But um, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for a lot with this Shazam thing. I mean, we saw the backpack kid dance, right? We see. Um, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of uh, social media probably play at play in this, or oh, yeah. a lot of um, what are those <laughs> and stuff like that memes. I'll say though, with Spider or not Spider with Aquaman. That is a gorgeous movie to look at. Yeah, it is. And I was having a conversation with my friend Joden the other day, and Joden brought up that when you're watching the movie, it was kind of like Avatar in the sense of, what a gorgeous looking movie. Not a lot going for it, but what a gorgeous looking movie. And also, like, what what gorgeous landscapes, but instead of just letting you see them, we're just going to tell you about all of them <laughs> we're gonna tell you about every ancient myth and every ancient you know uh legend and literally everyone you bump into is gonna be like oh yeah and this is the you know and they'll just be expository about it i said that that movie got near genius when you get to that trench scene just the effects there the lighting of the yeah. of the monsters oh, but james Wan is a horror director so that's right in his yeah. that's right in his wheelhouse there um whereas a lot of people are hold, waiting with bated breath to see what if DC can get back to being fun. And Aquaman is the step in that right direction. Um, they need to work on their characterizations because Batman's not the person to tell jokes in these films. So if Aquaman's going to be that one, um, I, I'm even a little bit, you know, standoffish with Flash telling too many jokes. Like if it's not Wally, like get Wally in there. Wally, Wally will sit there. He'll joke it up all willy-nilly. I feel like Barry should be a little bit more, you know, I'm CSI trying to get my dad out of the prison. I mean, we have the television version with Grant Gustin. So like, yeah. I think that's why the character is the way he is because that character people adore yeah and yeah. i'm a big fan of the series and i mind you i haven't watched since most of the beginning of season two kind of yeah. with gotham which my friend patricio Rabio, uh one of the things he always says to me you watch gotham you'll probably <laughs> don't watch gotham and i've told him repeatedly patricio i've watched the first season of gotham yeah and i think the first five of season two i have watched gotham 
I just don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I uh, I consider Flash season one one of the best first seasons of a comic book television show. Yeah. Just because how everything was structured. Um, And Gotham, you know, Gotham's going on its final season this year. It's on season five. And um, they're wondering where the bat ends up past that. Uh, we talked a little bit on, um, you know, our year-end um, review kind of deal that the Bat brand's kind of damaged in this last year, you know, with Bat Pole in the comics and with, uh, you know, uh, Affleck, will he or won't he? The, DC really has to look at not putting everything, all their eggs, in the Batman-Superman basket, which they've done since the 70s. You and I were both talking off mic about it, though, but they, in my opinion, they push more Batman because I'll give you the example of the Guardians of the Galaxy and then the Batman Telltale games. It's true. You have Marvel. They go on... No, no, I'll, I just defeated my own story. <laughs> you have DC, and they go up to Telltale Games and say, hey, we want to do a video game with you guys. All right, who do you have in mind? Batman. We want to do Batman. All right, cool. Hey, Marvel, you want to do a game with us? Oh, absolutely. Who are you thinking? Captain America, Iron Man? Guardians of the Galaxy. What? <laughs> Raccoon Tree. We want to do that. That's it. So they don't... like They, they want to make everyone an A-list character. And I'm excited for the day Moon Knight becomes at least a solid B plus yeah. A minus character because I'm Looney for Mooney and I gotta give a shout out to my boys at Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. They, you know, are just like me, obsessed with that character. And yeah. Moon Knight is someone that he's Marvel's answer to Batman in many aspects and not really, but Yeah. And and in many ways parodies him and his his uh mindset and um, Marvel movies have done what I feel comic book movies have done in a, for a very long time, which is sh- truly show that it's literally the person telling the story that drives the strength of the story. Um, I, I equate it to what Jeff Johns was able to do with Green Lantern and Aquaman. Like, you gotta care about those characters yeah. to write new stories. Um, I, I read, I recently read, uh, the Cosmic Ghostwriter story, which I thought Ooh, was. but Donnie Cates, my boy Donnie Cates. Bonkers, but so, entertaining so enjoyable and again you have to care about those characters to get them to that point donny cates is doing a lot of like the 90s like really you know he's doing 90s kind of comic books yeah and he's do- like he's working on venom he's working on cosmic ghost rider or was now because yeah. the series just ended and like so many other series over at marvel i like to I, i've jokingly said to you know different marvel guys he's literally doing every single comic book under the sun for that company right now. yeah and I am not complaining about that. I'm jealous of you. You know, you got you're a DC guy. I can tell a little bit more, right? Yeah. You say? Yeah. You guys have Tom King. I'm jealous of you for that. <laughs> so jealous because I read his Vision run, and Vision is a masterpiece. Yeah. And Even Mister Miracle. Mister Miracle is really, really. Good. I'm I'm waiting for the trade for that. Like I wanted to get like individual issues, but I'm like, eh, I really don't want to add one more book to the poll. <laughs> It, it's so much. I recently on this vacation uh, went through um, the beginning to where we're at now in um, uh, Kate's run and on uh, Venom. And even thinking that, it's like this character has existed for you know decades and he's still finding new things to pull from it and ways yeah. to go. I'll connect this to Thor and I'll connect this to, you know, um, uh, like the dawn of time. That and, Thanos and, run, man. That Thanos run was incredible. You you have to you have to want to tell new stories. So I wonder sometimes with Batman and Superman whether or not they even care, or whether it becomes a thing of well they know the brand. You know, once the brand goes up, people are gonna come see it, and it's like wait, there's stories to tell. I adore, and I get 
crap for this, but I adore Damian Wayne as a character. I the hate char- Damian the Wayne character. so See? much. I own two copies <laughs> of his death because I hated that character yeah. so much. That, but that silent issue was pretty cool, though. They oh, do a uh, silent Batman issue. and Robin? Yeah. yeah I like that. They that did issue that, was they, so great. That, they do a silent issue after his death, which is great. I like Damian Wayne because I like Batman explaining why he's Batman to, and not being inner dialogue. Um, he does to me in this what um, there was another character that does something so oh what Miles is to Spider Man Spider Man's able to talk about how I always get up and I you know this is what you do this is what's right this is what's wrong and this is why you wear the mask you actually able to get that from him and in Spider Man for the most part that's all thought bubbles yeah. and you get that's where you get his inner monologue Batman lives in his inner monologue but without being able to do that in film. He has to be able to tell somebody. And if he's going to tell somebody, I'd rather it be a 10-year-old kid than Chris O'Donnell. So that's where we get stuck in that. I would like to see, I would like to see them try to play uh, in, in a world where he has to explain why he goes so hard, but also explain why he has the restraint that he does. Because he does. He can literally just be a dictator and killing everybody in Gotham. And circling back over to Marvel, though, with the comparison with you know Marvel and DC, I like to think that Marvel wants to make all of their characters A-listers. Yeah. Like, it's, that's the problem, like, for me with DC, though, where, you you know, you want Batman. You want Batman. No, I kind of want Superman. No, you want Batman. Yeah. I bought a Superman shirt, and I swear to you, I'll, I'll take a photo, throw it up on my Twitter or Instagram one of these days, at Peter Malcolm both, by the way. <laughs> Gotta work. get that shameless plug out there. <laughs> but... What I had was a Superman shirt, and when you look inside the tag, the the ink printed on tag, because it was tagless, because you don't want that itchy thing in the back. Oh, you don't. Um, it was a, a Batman logo on there. And I'm like, are you <laughs> they kidding They still managed me? to put a Batman logo on there? It drove me nuts. I'm like, but I got it because I'm like, this is funny. I got a Superman Batman shirt. But I'm looking at that, I'm like, really, guys? Yeah. Because that's what they want it to be. And I understand. It's the most popular character. But in terms, in pro wrestling terms, put over other characters. No, man. exactly. We talk about that all the time in, in pro wrestling terms. Things are only going to be as popular as you allow them to be. So if you say like, well, no one's going to be as popular as Hulk Hogan. Well, if you keep saying that, yeah. you will ensure that no one's as popular as Hulk Hogan. But you have to take chances. Um, the idea, look at the CW. Green Arrow? Green Arrow? Like when that show came out, people couldn't tell you three facts about the guy. And now whether they're correct or not because they're informed by the show they know things yeah and they know characters and they know uh, plot points and beats and they took a chance on that i was one of the people ready to write off the flash i thought he was just a fast guy and who needs like yeah (laughs) Yeah, i thought that that was literally him i thought he was literally just he's a fast guy and then i read some flash and i saw that show and i'm like they care they care enough to know that i'm not in the bag yet yeah and there's they're willing i mean in a, in a probably a bad um analogy they're willing to romance me still they're still willing to, to to put on the candles and buy me the roses and say i know you don't know this guy but let me introduce you to him in, in a nice way and let you feel the beats and so you can really get him whereas i've been married to batman for 40 years and he's like roll over you understand me he's, he's just like this is this is you know me you know what this is you know, we'll show the pearls. You're gonna see the pearls. That's what's gonna happen. And this is you should you should be used to this by now. I'm I'm tired of uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne dying. I'm yes. tired of Uncle Ben dying. And let me tell you something, brother. I don't know why I feel like Hulk Hogan for that, but 
with Spider-Verse, I love that it was just boom, 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 boom. Uncle Ben's dead. Oh, let's go on to the next thing. I'm like, I love that. Yeah. Whereas we have to have the very slow shot in BVS of we're seeing the pearls fall. Look how artistic I'm being. Even though I've only read Dark Knight Returns once in my life. Hi, I'm Zack which is Snyder. Where the, which is where the pearls, yeah, you know, like, they, yeah. and that's, and they literally just go that beat. Almost in every Batman movie, they have to have this random moment. He could be he could be uh, microwaving a burrito, and then he'll just turn to the side and see his parents Martha. die again. <laughs> he'll see his parents die again, and I get I get how much of that tragedy shapes that character, but I, he should also be a testament of what you build from tragedy, yeah. not how you just kind of sit in it. And maybe that's a, maybe that's more of a, a criticism of the actual characterization of the character. But then again, you know, he doesn't have to just be this one way. And I hope DC figures this out with, with guys like Shazam, who, to my knowledge, doesn't have a, a point in time where he just beats up a mutant and then kills the Joker in a ton of love and then does a bunch, gets an armored yeah. suit and tries to fight Superman. Although I will say, for the record, I, I'm obviously hyped for Shazam, but I'm even more so hyped for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That wow. looks like just the studio shot scenes. How hyped am I for this movie? A lot. How do you feel about the idea of, those, of the two Jokers? The two, the two ones being, yeah. Maybe for twelve. I don't care. You know, you don't care as long as they're, um, yeah. Uh, because Rockin' is probably not going to play in the world, right? Probably not. I mean, no. I somebody said, I'm gonna be pissed if it ends with him shooting Thomas and Martha Wayne, and I said I'd be pissed, but the only thing that can save for me if he does the pale moonlight line. Oh. <laughs> what? Yeah, if he does that, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? That might just sell it for me, and I'm good there. Because we did we did some of the um, research behind the Joker, and they were saying that uh, they're going to play Thomas a little bit like the current president, with the idea that he huh. is a um, he's a millionaire who's going to run for mayor and may not be the nicest to the to citizens or uh, have a nice public face. And the idea of Thomas not being a baby face is like. Well, okay, we're going to try this out. And supposedly, making, they're also in talks of making a Joker his illegitimate child. Are we also making Gotham great again? <laughs> yeah, one step at a time. Everybody gets red hats. <laughs> they, they're talking no, about... They got to be purple or black because it's, you know, Gotham. Everything's dark and gloomy. That's true. And, yeah, put some, like, weird statue on top of it. They had too many damn statues in Gotham with some of these, with some of these bros. Well, well, you need all those statues because Batman's got to perch on something. You know, what is he really going to perch on? You know, a subway sign or, you know, a little stop sign? They just seen him in BVS where he's standing, like, on a crane with a gun. And I'm like, how did he get up there? And how did no one see him get up there? <laughs> how did you stand? How did you get up there? I like the shot. They do the whole panic shot. It's like, how did you get up there? I don't understand. Um, and speaking of dark and gloomy, by the way, Todd McFarlane is going on saying that the Spawn quote unquote reboot or whatever the hell it's going to be will not will be very dark and gritty and you know whatever. Has he spoken on length about how he feels about the original Spawn film? I don't believe so. I know I know Todd McFarlane, who I'm just going to do and I'll do a butchering of his voice, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. he he, uh, <laughs> he he was involved with the soundtrack, I guess. Right. There right. was about that, but. I, I'm I'm gonna look it up later, but man, the Todd Father, <laughs> I don't think he's read his own comic in maybe twenty something years because I'm going like rereading the run myself right now, and because okay. I'm I'm a sucker for '90s comics. Yeah, and that book feels very '90s. It, oh, Does it read very? Kids like... love change. Okay, it's very clunky. Okay, and like cool for cool sake. A little. Yeah. And I just feel like Todd's trying to find his writing style. Like, 
issue by issue. Yeah, is he still writing that book? I don't believe. Or actually, I think he is at the moment. Yeah, don't quote me on that. Quote I know Peter for a while that he had Capullo doing his work, his art. Greg Capullo, who uh, yeah, that was years ago though. Yeah, but he handed the reins over. I know he was writing it fairly recently with uh, Savage Dragons, Eric Larson. Yeah, and that's where like I w- I'm going through all of it, and I want to get it to the Eric Larson stuff because. I'm a Savage Dragon fanboy. I'm one of those, like, no matter how bonkers that series is, I'm still going to support it because... He seems like he put his all in it. He, Eric he wants that he, to be his he, thing now. Yeah, he has put... And when you have that much passion behind a project, it's hard not for that uh, passion not to be contagious when you read it off the page. The reason why I ask about um, the writers on Spawn is because I'm wondering if there's a definitive um, either run or story that I've missed. Because when I think of Spawn, I don't necessarily think of a particular story, villain, or, or arc. And is it just issue for issue's sake every time? Or is there a big connective tissue of, like, there's this villain, there's that villain, there's... Because I heard about the Angela stuff, uh, you uh, know, when they I... bring Angela in, and then she ends up getting taken by Marvel because of yeah. all that. All that, uh... oh, that, was a, that was a moment in time. Yeah. Was... But with all of it, the thing about it for me, I would say, obviously, the McFarlane. The original, like, you know, whatever number of issues he was working on it. Of course, the Greg Capullo art is phenomenal. And the fact he was able to steal him away from Marvel and do this and just put out great stuff. Yeah. I want to see Capullo return to Marvel. And again, that's not just coming as a guy who does a Marvel (laughs) podcast. I just love his art. And, you know, that run is fantastic. What else? Um, Again, just because I'm biased, I love the guy. Eric Larson's stuff is pretty cool. And yeah. So yeah, I is Spawn going to be the um, anti superhero movie? I mean, a lot of ways, this Venom was trying to portray that, right? Saint your grandfather's uh, superhero movie. Venom, uh, Venom. That's another. That's another eight hundred million dollar movie that See, randomly <laughs> just started making a bunch of money. Venom is a movie where I can watch clips of it. Yeah, but I I don't know if I want to be able to watch the whole movie again. I'm like I just I honestly bought the movie on Blu-ray because it came with that cool looking action figure. Yeah. I found the retro Walmart one, and I'm like, ooh, I want that. Right. But there are parts like that version of Venom. Mm. Oh my god, is it a good version of the character? Like it takes what they botched in Spider-Man Three, which we are going to be talking about. One yes, of us will, will be talking about it. Will it be <laughs> me or will it be George? We dun, don't dun, know. Dun. But yeah. Uh, just that whole, it's like, he's like a little child, that version of that. Yeah. He's like, you know, a fish out of water kind of story, just like, or well, a yeah, wide eyed water. And, yeah. Symbiote out of water. That <laughs> sounds like a rock band. <laughs> I, it might be. It might be very, you know, Seattle grunge, but I just, I love that version of the character where he's just so awkward and he's like trying to also be that little voice, like, you know, pushing him, you know, you want to do this. No, yeah. Or sorry. I can do the Venom voice kind of. Uh, I'm on the spot. Crap, crap, crap. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. I'm trying. That's a pretty good way. Uh, Tony Todd, right? I, uh, was it Tony Todd that did yeah, the voice? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's uh, Candyman. Yeah, Candyman. And also Reverse Flash. Or, yeah. or, or, uh, Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. God, he I used love to go, that version. He used to go, The Flash. <laughs> and we used, to, we used to make fun of him all the time. Because he was just such a sinister villain. He would just go, The Flash. One of my favorite moments at a con was just watching him sit at the uh, bar um, after East Coast Comic Con, just sitting there at the bar, pounding drinks and just bullshitting <laughs> with people. And I was like laughing. I'm like, this is this is funny. Yeah. He's a good guy. But Spawn, I mean, who knows? Is that the only image property 
they're uh, actively trying to make a movie for. I know I heard about it, Invincible. Um, I know Sa- uh, Saga is going to be made into a TV series, supposedly. Right. I think question mark. But other like Sex Crims is you know Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. That is supposed to be a TV show, but again, just kept stalling. During our interview with Chip on the Marvelous, I asked him about it. And he's like, "Yes, yeah." He's like, I'm down for it. Just like, let me know what's taking so long. It got optioned like years ago, like I think 2014 or 15, and it's just been in, you know, stalled over yeah. and over. And you got The Walking Dead. Which of course, yeah, The Walking Dead. Like they're going to be doing the Rick movies, but those are apparently just going to be TV What movies. does that even mean? What does that even mean? We're going to do the Rick movies. like, And it's not even a movie. It's a made-for-TV movie. And the guy dies halfway through the run of the, of the series of, of, of comics that they're at now. If wait, he it, did die? They killed Rick in, in the comics? Or, wait, wait, wait. Well, they do a time jump. Is he not dead? I remember Carl being older. I, I fell off during All Out War. Like, that's how far yeah, yeah, yeah. The Walking Dead yeah. I am. That, that was about... But those comics are kind of entertaining. There's not much to them. But they... They they, they just get repetitive for me. Like, they kind of do, yeah. I love, like, the first 100 or so issues of The Walking Dead. I I'm about... Yeah, I'm, I probably get stopped at, like, 110, maybe? 115? Because... They're, they're very the first, masterful. Yeah. But then I'm watching the show and I'm like, these guys are just not caring about what we're doing in the books and we're just going to take a turn here. Is Kirkman even involved with the show anymore? I've heard like I heard a lot of people left and they were suing suing AMC and there's a lot of bad blood and all that stuff going on there, which is just like, I, I, it's it's a lot of the beginnings of love affairs with grabbing these properties and just doing what the hell they feel like doing with it. Um, And Image is supposed to be creator friendly. It's supposed to be, you know. You you will do it your way, and he took it to AMC, and they did it their way, and they cut budgets, and they killed characters, and they they've done what they wanted to do. Now to the point where, if you want to consider Fear the Walking Dead, uh, you know, a, a different property, they have Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and now these Rick movies, which is a a real big way to stretch yeah. one property. Like that's 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 a, I probably further than it probably should be stressed at this point. But I mean, movie. it really sucks when you know something so great eventually becomes bad. Yes, yes. Much like what the topic at hand for this episode is going to be, I believe. Correct? Yes, this is this is very true. And um, something that something that we were talking about before about going bad and, and uh, the idea with the brand. They're saying that the uh, ever so um, sought after Batman film is supposedly going to be start shooting this November, which is what I'm hearing. That, how many yeah. months from now? Uh, is, but is Affleck involved? I don't know. And uh, supposedly that was the only selling point, right? Was that he could direct it. And yeah. then they were like, eh, well, we don't know yet. Schrodinger's Batman is a Batman that is on the project, off the project. Yes. On the project, <laughs> yes. both, you know? And I, I also feel like, the think about it. They're saying that this movie is supposed to be coming out in November, which then tells me that they're probably going to be gauging Wait, it around. November this year? No, no, sorry, sorry. It's going to start shooting in November. Oh, I was going to say, holy crap. It's going to start shooting in November. But is there a coincidence that that's when the Joker film was supposed to be coming out? Hmm. Are they going to be trying to gauge things? Because don't get it twisted. I and I said this on this cast before. They should be waiting till movies come out before they start making other movies. Because this Absolutely. idea that like, well, um, we're we're making Wonder Woman and Justice League at the same time. So if people hate just uh, Wonder Woman, we won't know and we won't have time to course correct. Man, I was hyped for Wonder Woman eighty four, and now that's just it's they pushed stalled. it down right yeah, to the next next year. Next year they're kind of a. Uh, New Mutants sing and uh, Dark oh Phoenix. Oh my god, that trailer came out two years ago for New yeah. Mutants. Two and years that ago, poster got recalled. Brick in the wall. <laughs> I and remember it. Everyone was like, "Really? They're doing a horror movie for this? This is a terrible idea." I'm like, 
Have y'all read the Bill Sienkiewicz, Chris Claremont run? Because that is some spooky that, stuff. That art is yeah. amazing. So when I'm looking at that, I'm like, oh, horror is definitely a good idea for this. Because even when a character's like looking really happy, you're petrified. Like yeah. looking at like, Ugh. same thing with. Uh, so you, I mean, Spawn could take a, a lick from there. It could, it can make itself uh, I, more horror, fying a hard. Um, it's gonna be Bloomhouse, isn't it? Bloomhouse or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. So that's gonna be in the a bag. Given. Yeah. But I just, I don't like the idea of the Todd father being the director father. Yeah. Because he should not. No, 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 no. Sometimes comic creators can get a little bit masturbatory on these kind of projects. And I fear that, because the first Bond movie felt that way. It felt very edge for edge sake. It felt very. I've never seen the first Bond. No? No. It, it I've feel, wanted to. But... It feels very like, we don't, like, mustache twirling villain. Uh, you know, like just rule a cool all the way, but sometimes it doesn't work. And uh, you can really tell that the person that made it really felt like Spawn was the coolest character of all time. Which I guess well, he's you got should. Chains, kids love chains. Yeah, right. <laughs> Apparently, right. I didn't know that there was such a deep correlation with that. But besides the actual uh, factual movie, they're going to be adapting the Long Halloween for uh, the DC animated uh, universe. And now, That's, is it the animated universe where it's Batman, Bad Blood, and stuff like that? Because I'm I'm thinking so, which is really going to mess with things because Death <sighs> of Superman is in that universe, if I'm not mistaken. Believe, but then yeah. they had to play with the continuity and the timeline to put the death that took place in the '90s, after cannot um, chronologically after storylines like Bad Blood, which take after storylines that are more modern. Truth be told, I don't care for that version of their animated universe. Yeah. But I love the Paul Dini, Bruce Tim stuff. Yeah, that's that's my universe. Like that version of Superman, Superman the animated series, is one of my like all time favorite animated series. Like I would say, and this is like a hot take, but <laughs> I think it's better than Batman the animated series. Wow. Yeah, and I was I used to do a Batman podcast called Inside the Batcave. So yeah, just letting y'all know that's where my allegiances really are. When I think of um, a lot of people think of Man of Steel when they think of him, um, if like if you don't like Superman, watch this movie and you'll like him. I'm, yes, I want to see a joyless Superman where he doesn't. He, oh, I went off. It. I went oh. off. You know, initially I really really liked it because of the, uh, the the aesthetics. I was bored. And then afterwards, after doing some thinking, I've I've really really got an axe to grind with that film, and to the point that we've did an entire episode where I'm just lambasting the Kents as the worst uh, parents in probably comic book movie history. No, son, you shouldn't help people. You should you should let them all die, let including them all me die. in a tornado. <laughs> and then he got his hero kick. But mine is. Uh, Superman versus the Elite. I think I Superman, versus, Superman versus the Elite is a film where he faces off against um superhero. Well, not initially faces off, but superheroes from across the world uh, join into a team called the Elite, where they're not scared to straight up kill criminals. And then they form their own wrestling promotion called All Elite Wrestling. That's it. That's exactly how that happens. And then Superman gets put on that team, but they got to go over like contract negotiations. And stuff well, I like mean, that. then there's just nothing but super kicks. <laughs> um. Yeah, but there there is gems in that animated universe. I do think that yes, there was a decided turn and change, creative change that did make them sort of devolve. Um, a lot of the animation isn't as sharp as it used to be. I was I went to the theater and was disappointed in the Killing Joke. Um, oh uh, anim- boy, that bad uh, movie. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I wanted Batman to do Batgirl because truth be told, the Killing Joke story. Uh-oh. I Uh-oh, I feel like another Alan hot take Moore. coming. <laughs> oh, well, I'm agreeing with Alan Moore, and I mean he's a warlock and probably would you know like cast a spell on he me. He prays to I a serpent, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but 
Who doesn't? <laughs> Most rational people. <laughs> you know. But he uh, he hates the Killing Joke, and he says like it's one of like my least favorite stories. And I used to love that story. Yeah. And then I reread it in time for Killing Joke, and I'm just like, oh, we are good to go. <laughs> I, I re- reread it, and I'm just like, no, I, I it doesn't age. And like the funniest thing is, for years I would sell or not sell. I would buy people copies of that as a gift. Ah, just to get them. I uh, gave one of my best friend John, my best friend Josh. They have copies of that because of me. And then, like, it took me years to get my own official copy. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, oh, let me read it. See, um, a little bit of that speaks to me of the, like, I'm in the middle with the Joker film. I think Joaquin Phoenix is amazing, and I like the Joker character. What keeps me trepidatious is we seem to be in this weird love affair with the character. Yeah, that like I he's don't... the only villain you need. Yeah. Again, just like, let's push Batman. Right. He's got other villains. <laughs> yeah. And here's another, like, uh, controversial one, maybe, I guess. But Dark Knight, mm-hmm. Two-Face was underrated in that movie. He I, was uh, really good. I also agree. Uh, considering he had no powers, just like um, Joker, he's sadistic. He's uh, He claims to be playing for, um, you know, law and the good side and what's right and fair. Oh, wait, wrong. But, <laughs> I am the law. <laughs> no, um... No, my thing for him is, we were trying to be decent men in an indecent time. <laughs> he was very upset. Um, but you got you got Joker, and I don't want to get to a point where I feel sorry for him. Now really? I get, I, now, I get, now, this is what puts me in this weird moral conundrum, because people can redeem themselves, right? And I want to believe that some of these movies are preaching that message i want people to believe that not everybody you can just write them all off as as human beings because of mistakes made or how they react to trauma i feel like the difference between a hero and a villain is literally that everyone goes through trauma a villain um uses it as an excuse to kind of be a dick and the hero uses it as fuel to make sure that no more of that drama affects other people back when i was in college i wrote a paper mm-hmm. and i correlated Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto with the Batman mythos. And I did a damn good argument for that where one was the uh, one of them was the bourgeoisie and one was the proletariat. Proletariat, Offhand, I don't remember which one was the ruling class and working class, but I want bourgeoisie sounds like like fancy. (laughs) So I'm going to go. Joker was a part of the working class and Batman was a part of the ruling class. And like it was just classism. And I like wrote this detailed paper, man. And yeah, I was like bringing points like why we should feel bad for the Joker sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree that, like I said, everyone has a, uh, uh, you know, redeeming qualities and that we should be looking for the good in people. Um, I Shades don't, gray, I, man. I just don't necessarily know if I'm ready for the Joker was right. Hashtag Joker was right. You, you know what I'm saying? I don't, that hashtag? I don't know if I'm ready for that, man. And I, I, I'm like I said, I, I, that's why I, I like the, I think the best part of killing joke is when he says that maybe that story was a lie. Because you're like, yeah. the whole time you're like, wow, this he really just kept falling on his face. And he was just trying to do what was right and literally just kept stumbling. I know what that feels like. I know what one bad day could do to somebody. But then he goes like, well, maybe that's not true. I like to yeah. have my past be multiple choice. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. Did he just come up? And you same thing with Dark Knight. You want to feel bad for him. You're like, wow, his dad beat his mom. But that's not that. Maybe that's not the story. Wow, he cut his wife's face. Well, maybe that's not the story. And so I, I'm scared of. It being to a point where, because you you've seen the meme, right? I we uh, live in a society. Oh, well, that and the and the the OG one, which was, um, I grew up thinking Batman was right, but now that I'm older, 
I feel like the Joker makes more sense or something like that. And I, um, I saw this whole long, um, a video essay about how the Joker, um, is a nihilist. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if I agree. I do think that he believes in things. My I boy do... Thanos is. Oh yeah. Right. I do believe, I do believe that, um, especially in the dark Knight, he plays off as a man who was recently, um, uh, hurt or recently, uh, got all his hopes dashed or his hopes of humanity or hopes of what's right and what's fair recently got dashed. And now he has to, because his, because his personal parade was rained on, he must now rain on Gotham. Right. And now, because, um, and this just works with pessimism in general, right? I go through a bad day, so I have to tell everybody else that the world is crap. Because if it's not crap, then that one bad day was just by that's, chance. That's me when I go to comic shops and they don't have a book <laughs> I'm looking for. I just get really pissy. That's what I'm saying. So, I don't, in a world where DC's so dark, I don't know if it could survive the upside down of Joker being right because if we already got Batman wrong, I mean Superman wrong in Man of Steel, and then Joker starts being right, where I, where are we? I don't we? want Hunka Hunka to be right. I really don't. <laughs> where are we? You don't like you don't want to. He was like snarling in half that movie. And, Man, like, what is he was, doing? What is Leto he doing? Was the biggest letdown. Leto was a letdown, but it was condoms, Peter. He so gave people that. condoms. Stop that. <laughs> he gave people. I don't know why, but that's what the man did. I remember. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that's enough of the of looking into the future. Let's get into the past because I, I there's a reason why I wanted to do comic book movie sequels. We could do, and we probably will eventually do, uh, just bad comic book movies, poorly made, poorly written, poorly acted and scripted comic book movies. But I think it's a true gem when a good comic book movie can come out and fail to capitalize yeah. <laughs> past that. I think uh, in a lot of ways, the groundwork is set and people are already buying into your idea because of the first film and the success of the first film. So it really takes a whopper of a, of a, of a bad sequel to sour the taste in people's mouths. Some of the movies we'll be talking about today ended franchises, ended character interest for decades, ended, uh, you know, uh, uh, some actors' careers, <laughs> directors' careers. Uh, some of these movies are synonymous with the worst of the worst that bad movies, uh, you know, when they're spoken about in hushed tones, some of these movies make that list. But, um, one of these actually lost interest in a genre for a couple of years. That, which is humongous when you consider and the amount of, you know, of, which one I'm talking about. <laughs> when you consider the amount of money that this genre has made, it's, it's bonkers that this would do that to a whole, uh, fan base. But off the top, I wanted to go shot for shot with you. We'll name, um, I'll name my, what I consider the five worst comic book movie sequels, and uh, you can follow suit. We can go uh, five for five, and then uh, we'll just talk about bad comic book movie sequels in general. But I was more curious as to, how, what was your um, deciding factors on a, on a list like this? Is it something that was decidedly worse from the first? Is it just a bad movie on the stake of it being a standalone bad film? Um, is it an acting thing? Is it a... Um, uh, maybe a dishonest portrayal of, of the character. Uh, what, what did you work with when, it, when you were making up this list? I go with the storytelling aspect as well as the, how do I say, the, not really the acting, because sometimes these movies can be really good and the acting is hokey. For yeah. example, the first Spider-Man movie is a pretty good movie. Yes. But it's so hokey. Uh, the homeboy is che- chewing up the scenery. Um yeah. What's Willem Dafoe yes. is chewing up. You know, I, I'm something of a fish man myself. <laughs> every every 
I, well, every week I say at one point, Mary Jane and I are going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> and it's it was, you who's out, Gobby. <laughs> out of your mind. It's like, huh. it, And uh, the, the, the deliver us from evil scene where he comes in on uh, Aunt May, finish it, <laughs> finish it. It's so from evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, all right. Yeah, I went with that, though. I okay. forgot about that scene. Oh, I'm telling you, bro, that makes the movie. He just randomly busting through her hospital, with, hospital thing. Like Run DMC in the Aerosmith video. You know? And he's like, by the way, oh, my God, Norman is. But he's he's a gem in that. So that, that's, that's that's funny, too, because a lot of that's going to play into this. Like, some of that is, makes it enjoyable. It's not necessarily something you just write off and stuff. Absolutely. But, um, like you, yeah, some, so the acting isn't... uh all of it do you find that a lot of these were easy to come up with they came right to them it was actually a little difficult because some movie sequels i haven't even seen like some of the ones you had mentioned i was like oh i haven't actually seen that for example superman movies i've only seen i believe the like of the christopher reeves or christopher reeve the first two which which you're doing yourself a favor (laughs) yeah i know but again as a canon fan i really want to watch nuclear man yeah so with this i also go with disservice to the source material and i i'm also one of those where i champion you don't have to be like guy why are you doing disservice to the book yeah sometimes you're just like wow they really you know screwed the pooch on this like you couldn't get that right (laughs) i find that when the movie is good i could care less about how to the t they they portrayed the characters it's when the movie is bad that i go you guys had a template that was fine. <laughs> there was no reason to, to switch up from the template. Thor Ragnarok does not follow the source material like most of it. It doesn't really no. follow most of it. But and it changes the tone, but it does a success. Yeah. And I also feel like in a in a weird way it captured the kookiness of Kirby's space Marvel oh, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And that there's an audience for that, you know? Absolutely. So they um it's it's not as cut and dry as you would think. And another thing is having a good film, the first film or a second film be good is not as cut and dry. Um, We're on, what, the 20th Marvel film? Uh, Captain or, Marvel will be the 21st. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're up on the 20th Marvel film. And the fact that they're still good is, yeah. a, is a big deal. It should be a big deal because a lot, of the, on, a lot of movies on this list, by the time you get to number three, some of these are unwatchable. Even... Thor The Dark World and Iron Man 3, which are considered, you know, they're reviled as the worst of the MCU. Guess what, people? They're still kind of passable because when you look at Rotten Tomatoes, which some fanboys, dear lord, they will yeah, right? vehemently go against that site, <laughs> but they're still pretty solid movies. It's true. And it's, they're not, like, Thor The Dark World is no Guardians of the Galaxy 1 or 2. I'm, I'm a big champion for Volume 2 being the better one. And yeah. According to the Marvelous ranking, number one. <laughs> but yeah, you just gotta realize, wow, even like their quote unquote dismounts are pretty solid landings. Yeah, and with Thor: The Dark World, I feel like for all its uh, misgivings, it is the sequel to Thor One. Yeah, it is very much in that same vein of that first film. Now, whether or not you like that first film, I think that that Actually, you know, if I remember correctly, no, I liked Thor a lot. Yeah surprisingly i like that unworthy you're unworthy (laughs) they're so solid in the dark world if only for this they bring um they bring jane foster into asgard 
And Odin shows up and he's like, what is she doing here? And then they're like, oh, you know, we need her, blah, blah, blah. He's like, she's as welcome here as uh, as like a pig at a banquet table or something like that. And I was like, wow, Odin, you're just coming in kind of kind of strong there. He's, he's trying to, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. And then by the time you get to the third movie, he's all like, yeah, yeah, I got a big threat. I think I'm just gonna die now. I'm, just, I'm, I'm gonna wear I'm gonna wear uh, dad jeans, and I'm gonna wear a pottery barn uh, eye patch, and we're just, gonna, we're just that, gonna. That is still one of the most out there things I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. Like, why why is he going to a retirement home now? Yeah, he's been chilling. He he got exiled from Asgard, and he's just been chilling. He's not mad. He's not. He don't have any vengeance in his heart. None of that. He's kind of chill. He thought about it. Now he's just gonna die. That's yeah. that's his. Uh, well, I guess I'm gonna his, die now, like the meme says. <laughs> uh. Well, I guess uh, it goes without saying. My number five is going to be Superman for um, a quest for peace. It is it it. I mean, it might fall into that whole "it's so bad it's good" category. But I think that the biggest problems with the film is that it, I honestly feel like they did not know where to go. But there's obviously budget cuts. You know, there's oh, humongous, it's humongous budget cuts. Um, this film probably is viewed um, more uh, as a worse film because of the inclusion of Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves being the continuity glue. If this was another Superman, this would just be a failed Superman movie. And the only reason he did this movie was because he wanted to do his own film, Street Smarts for Canon. Yeah. And, man, Canon was a company that, you're looking at their movies, they were, like, responsible for a lot of Chuck Norris movies. They were the people that gave Chuck Bronson, Charles Bronson, a career resurgence yeah, in the 1980s Wish, yeah. with you know the gigantic guns in Death Wish. And <laughs> they're also responsible for unleashing Jean-Claude Van Damme on the world with my personal favorite movie from canon, Bloodsport. But that's just me. The, this movie uh, was on a budget of $17 million and it made... Fifteen point six million. <laughs> well, I would imagine as much. So, like, a, the idea of a Superman movie under twenty million and then not breaking even is is pretty big. And this is a film that comes out two years prior to uh, Batman eighty nine, which yeah. which broke open the genre again. So, um, I, I it had to make my list because if you're looking at bad Superman movies. You could go no further than Superman for it, but I would argue that I could change it at any point for Superman Returns with Brandon Routh. I've never seen that one, and I've heard people champion it in the sense mm-hmm. of it's like the you know Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, but I've also heard why it's just no, no, no it's not good. Well, it's the idea like they could make an Adam West esque Batman film. Yeah, but would it for what and to what end? Are they all then going to be Adam West Batman films? Well, they did like, kind of make a Adam West Batman film, and that's my number five. Ah, uh, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Wait, where do you? Now I'm curious because now that we've linked that, where do you put that Batman film? Where do you put Adam West Batman film? It does it. Is I, it one of the I, best? One of the worst? I don't even rank it with those to be honest. Like it just it's feels like an extended thing. episode of the show. I agree. I agree. And man, the whole thing with batman forever i will say (laughs) i have very fond memories of that movie without having seen it in 1995 i was a big subscriber of disney adventures magazine i would always see the you know the advertisements i got the special issue where they promoted it and i loved all the stuff but i never saw the movie i never saw the movie until 2007 i was watching all the movies right before i started right before i graduated high school 
uh-huh. and I marathoned them all. And then I got to the other one, which maybe one of us will discuss. We haven't Probably figured right. that out, but yeah. <laughs> but Batman Forever was very just hokey. Yeah. And it got a lot of the elements of what makes Batman 66 work. Like they, they were like, oh, people like this about Batman 66. Let's do that. And they failed with that execution. Yet, I don't think the commitment was there. They they, they knew what beats that they wanted, but I don't feel like they had the spirit that it, it should. Um, they understood I, the color. They absolutely understood that. Uh, I actually wa- just watched it recently because I was trying to figure out... I, now, I don't have Batman and Robin on my list, but I think it goes without saying that a lot of people do consider it um, one of the worst comic book movie sequels of all time and what probably tanked Batman for quite some time. I actually think it's the one-two punch of Forever and... Um, Batman and Robin, because in the same way that I think you don't get BVS without the missteps of Man of Steel, I don't think you get Batman and Robin without the missteps of Forever. Yeah. And um, Forever had this weird tangential tie to Burton's stuff while also still trying to do the new Schumacher stuff. Uh, you got a, a Batmobile that's ribbed for her pleasure. You got you got Dr. Chase Meridian <laughs> who just shows up in lingerie and flicks bat signals. Uh, um. My favorite moment, and I credit the guys from We Hit Movies, which, by the way, I want to mention, they have a recurring thing. If you disagree with us on any of our picks and our opinions on this, to quote them, it's all right to like a movie. It's true. And they always point out, and I've done this at cons, the line where they're in the, the circus and you hear Batman yell, Harvey, I'm Batman. Oh yeah, I've done that at and, and cons. And no one can hear him. And no one can hear him. <laughs> I've yelled that at cons, and let me tell you, man, I've had fun with that line. Um, I mean, people get it in too. that in that scene. Harvey may not be able to hear him, but the people next to him should be right, and they should yeah. be like, "Did that guy just say he was Batman?" Yeah, that's Bruce Wayne. He just said he was Batman. Um, you got uh, Laundry Foo in that film where uh, Dick Grayson is is doing his laundry like it's Kung Fu. He has like sock nunchucks. And all kinds of stuff. You have the recurring joke of that whole series where somebody just stumbles onto the Batcave. The super secret, I need a pneumatic tube to get to it, a Batcave. Uh, Dick Grayson just fumbles in. Just stumbles in and he just finds everything. And I also love that whenever anyone stumbles in the Batcave, it gives it, it doesn't do like how in Batman and Robin. Oh, sorry. Batman Forever. Batman parks the Batcave. The Batmobile, and then presses like a button, and this metal shell thing comes over the whole thing, right? In Batman Forever and in Batman and Robin, whenever random people just show up to the Batcave, the car presents itself, the computers all turn on. I'm like, this is the worst security system ever. It's like, intruder alert, by the way, I'm (laughs) Batman. This is all my Bat stuff. Here's my car. You like my car? And when Riddler comes in later and blows everything up, everything's there. Everything is, there's no uh, protocols, none of that stuff. And Alfred brought vicky vale into the bat cave he he let he made a suit for dick because dick's like oh he goes who's your tailor remember he's like who's your tailor uh he did that he does some kind of backdoor stuff with um barbara it's not barbara gordon it's like barbara pennyworth or something like that in yeah, batman something. in batman and robin niece. yeah his niece from england you know alicia silverstone oh, and her beautiful england great, accent yeah i love that accent english so accent um she She's like, suit me up, Uncle Alfred. Alfred's just like, he does not care in those series of films. Everyone gets a suit. Everyone gets in the Batcave. He's just probably bored. I, they, I would imagine. He's just bored. Um, 
my problem with Batman Forever is uh, it, I, it, it's loud. Yeah. Like, a lot of it is, like, visually loud. And it's also, um, the score is, like, really bombastic. But more more in a way that it's kind of holding your hand and telling you how you're supposed to feel as opposed to what's actually happening. It's also just, it's a movie where the casting choices didn't fit. Yeah. Val Kilmer is a great, surprisingly a great comedic actor. If you've never seen the movie Real Genius, I highly I recommend I checking that out. Genius. It's got one of my all-time favorite lines. I want to see more of you around the lab. All right, I'll gain weight. So <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff like that. And to see him play this role, he just did not work as Batman for me. He didn't have the persona. He didn't have the intensity. When you look at Keaton, Keaton was Batman. Yeah. Keaton was unhinged. And again, comedic actor doing that stuff. How right. does that work? Yeah. But it did. I, 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 Kilmer's all right. I think his, his stoic Batman's okay. I think his, uh, I mean, sorry, his stoic Bruce Wayne is okay. I think Batman is a little bit too, you know, and that's where we get back. But unfortunately, you know, in that film, um, Tommy Lee Jones is out of control in that film. He's just literally, uh, I had this conversation the other day. I'm like, this. There's the part of that character is a duality, but you never see the other side yeah. <laughs> of Harvey Dent in that film. It's literally just purple two faced the entire time. How would you have felt if they kept Billy D. Williams though as two faced? That would have been stayed. so cool. That would have been so cool, and then you could have got the smoothness of Billy D. And then just the erratic behavior. But it felt almost oh, like what have we here? It felt almost as if they told both Riddler and Two Face to play the Joker yeah. in this film. And they both were like, okay, I'll do it in my way. And in a lot of ways, what Jim Carrey was with the Joker is what Will Smith was with Deadshot in the sense that just be you. Like, <laughs> I get that there's yeah. a char- there's character beats, but you're more important than those character beats. Just do what you do. Do the Ace Ventura stuff. Do the uh, Liar Liar stuff. A lot do of scenery the, was chewed in that movie. You know, there's a lot of um, that hunk of hunk of stuff you kind of get. You know, that Jared Leto stuff is kind of Riddler. It's kind of Jim Carrey's. what he like, based part of it on? <laughs> it, 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 it invokes it. I know. It, I can it, see that. I know it, it definitely invokes it. Um, Riddler has kind of been a redhead, but not like an orange, fiery. <laughs> no, he was not. Uh, redhead. So that was a little bit off, but um, they wanted to make it bigger. They wanted to stretch out Gotham, and I don't think um, you you see how quiet Batman Begins is almost in in comparison to Absolutely. those two films. Very mute, very serious, very we're taking our time telling the story. You don't have you'll you'll feel the beats. We don't have to tell you when they're coming. You'll feel them. Where the other one was really really just loud, and so I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think that um. And the Chris O'Donnell stuff, again, I'm going to get some hate for it, but I think that they need to, if you're going to put in Robin, I think that you should try the kid angle. I think we're at a point where with Kick-Ass, if you can do Hit-Girl, cutting people's heads off at seven years old and stuff like that, if it's a child in danger, you tend to be a little bit more like, um, there's more stakes, there's higher stakes, but Chris O'Donnell's like 40 in that, and so you're just like... No, he's a teenager. I don't know if you know that. His parents die. And Bruce Wayne just takes him home. What? I got a souvenir from the circus. Yeah, like, what, what, in what world, even if he's 18, 17, they'd probably just be like, we'll put you in a home for six months until you're legal, and then you'll do what you want. But a millionaire just like, you know, that was pretty sad what happened to you. I'm going to bring you to my house, and you can live there from now on. 
and then you could also fight crime with me in the dark. It was just, just weird. Did he even do the ad- adoption papers? I don't think he did. They just show uh, they show a vehicle. I, I I watched it the other day. They show the vehicle driving uh, to the Wayne Manor, and then the motorcycle following behind it. And then Bruce Wayne comes out. So I was like, I guess Bruce is not in the vehicle, and it's not. It's Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon goes up to Bruce and goes, "Uh, uh, real cool of you to take him in like this." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That and what nice. did, that was nice. And what they tell Grayson? Just show up. Just show up to Wayne Manor. He says he wants to see you. He wants to lick you up and down. He wants to make sure that you're all healthy and stuff. Oh, this went a completely different turn. Yes, yes, and it probably would. Uh, let me go. Let me continue this. This uh, worst of the worst is crap fest with my number four, which is um, Iron Man three. Iron Man three was a movie that when I initially saw it, I loved it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is the trauma of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um. You can if you watch any Robert Downey Jr. movie, you can just watch that guy go. You know, forever. But I think on the strength of it being an Iron Man film, um, or just a this entry into MC, MCU, not only do I feel like it's sort of forgettable, but I think you can remove it from the canon, and a lot of the movie still, a lot of the the history still not only maintains but makes more sense. I would agree. Um, Absolutely. I, I say constantly that you need to remove either this or Age of Ultron because. Age in this he blows up all his suits, and in Age of Ultron he has a bunch of new suits. So you either have to get rid of him saying he wants to blow them up, or you have to get rid of all the new suits in Age of he Ultron. Just can't decide. And so uh, there's that. How do you feel about that management twist? As a Marvel fan, as a, as a you know somebody who's in the back of this stuff. Uh, say it again, please. The Mandarin twist. Okay, so this is one where I enjoy the Mandarin persona, and I feel that the twist with Slattery that. I didn't mind. Yeah. I thought, you know what? Because you look at the original Mandarin. I'm, I was going through my marvelous year from Comic Book Herald, who just has a new podcast starting up for them. Awesome. And I was listening, you know, I was like reading the Mandarin early appearances. That is the single most racist character I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. And hearing these people, like, I will hear, why aren't they making it more like the source material? Sometimes you don't want the source wasn't material. He, at one point, wasn't he straight up green? I, I think, like, in the animated show, show, he was straight up green, like, like foreign. Like, you're so foreign, you're not even the same color as normal people. Uh, well, and they're, they're, it, it, it does feel like a caricature at many points. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you, and, I, and I, Iron Man 3 is not bad enough that I don't watch it on occasion. It's, like, again, to quote the boys from We Hate Movies, it's a hangover film. Like, that's the kind of movie you just put on, you know, whatever, you're watching that. I put it on the other day because I remembered that it's sort of kind of a Christmas movie. <laughs> right? Uh, I think that the only Christmas movies, and you know, uh, you could chime in if you know any others, that are comic book related are that and Batman Returns. I was so, going to say that, Batman yeah, Returns. Those are very Christmas heavy. But um, I remember thinking, and I still think, that the beginning iconography of the Mandarin is terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's like this straight-up uh, viral terrorist. Oh, my God. That, that you see, like, scenes of, like, children coming to embrace him <laughs> full of the rings and effigies of the president on fire. Yeah. And that whole, um, and you'll never see me coming. <laughs> I was saying that for, for weeks because of his delivery was so, you know, uh, you know, time to learn another lesson, America. And all that was so good. A but then, cookie. <laughs> yeah, it's Chinese. Uh, where's the Mandarin? Eddie, thank you. I got your line out. <laughs> uh, did, did Eddie wasn't like that? So the Mandarin twist? We always jokingly... Oh, he uh, he said, if I remember correctly, he was fine with the Mandarin twist. Okay. Not 100%. 
people out there listen to the show, give that a listen our uh, Iron Man three episode. Yeah. So yeah. I did, did the you... dance. I don't know why. <laughs> I like the dance. Thank you. Um did did you see the one shot that fixes the Mandarin? Uh that was the one where he's in prison and we also see the return of my boy. Justin Hammer. The best part, one of the best parts of the Iron Man franchise, to be honest with you. That dance he does when he comes out to the expo, oh it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in cinematic history. Hammer is one of the most underrated villains in the whole MCU. He's he's a great value uh, off-brand Tony Stark, and it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like uh, uh, Aldrich is like a cheap version of that. Like, you know, yeah. without, without the chemistry, he's just... Okay, if if Justin Hammer is the Walmart great value, mm-hmm. Aldrich is the Aldi version. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Oh, hell yeah, it That's is. A deep cut. But he's that. He's Aldi. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you can get some great stuff from Aldi, but yeah. really? Yeah. You're going to go. Don't go there it, for your sushi. You yeah. Uh, no. Oh, oh. Uh, this movie made over a billion dollars, though. Iron Man 3. Again, I, you know? I believe it. It's like, it's strong enough just on the name alone. Iron Man. Oh, crap. There's a new Iron Man movie out. I better bring the kids. Yeah. And there's definitely some funny moments. I like all his interactions with the child. Yeah. I like when he's, especially being a dick to the kid. I like when he's being like Tony Stark businessman with it. Um, But a lot. There's a lot in that film. Um, Do you have many MCU uh, movies on your list? On my list, I have none. None? Is that a bias, sir? It, no, because there are some Marvel <laughs> asking, movies that you're going to hear in here. Definitely, but definitely. How do you feel about Iron Man 2? Iron Man, so, Iron Man 2 was... My first viewing was date night with my uh, ex. Okay. And I'm sitting the entire time, like, trying not to get close to him. Like, I, I don't know what we're doing. So right, right. That is my memory of the movie. And I didn't care much for it during uh-huh. that viewing also because of that experience. Yeah. But, during rewatches, I've enjoyed parts of it. I feel Mickey Rourke's character is vastly underrated, but he's, again, forgotten. Yeah, that's true. I thought it was, like, during rewatches for The Marvelous, I thought it's okay. It's not the top tier. It's, like, maybe middle towards the bottom. Yeah, But, again, it's not Incredible Hulk bad. I didn't care for that movie. I've had people say that this is their favorite MCU movie. Just, I mean, again, teach his own. Love your movies. I'm with it. Defend it. That's why we do this. I'm a Mark Ruffalo guy. Can't you know? Can't can't dis my boy Mark. <laughs> uh, Iron Man two didn't feel like it moved the goalpost much. Uh, it didn't really help anything it as, as just, far was... as that concerned. And then three to me because it's on my list. Right, feels sorry, almost... three. No, 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 no. Two is the one I felt like didn't really move the goalpost. Three like, was the one that didn't for me. Didn't do anything. Three for me feels like if Iron Man was a television show this would have been the Christmas movie on that network. <laughs> you understand? Like, yes. it has the characters that you know, and we'll play around with that, but this is more for the lesson of everyone just be a good person, and we'll tie it up right there. Um, there's a lot of people, I think that Gwyneth Paltrow gets an unneeded amount of hate, but I don't have anything against her. How do you feel about Gwyneth Paltrow in the series? I thought in 3, at least, it was cool to see her get the, go into the suit, finally. Like, yeah, and do some it stuff. It was something we didn't want, like, we didn't ask to see, but when it happens, it's like, Oh, that is kind of cool. That Didn't think sense. that would happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Now we need to get Happy Hogan in the suit. That's what I'm talking I about. I want to see John Favreau running around with a you know booster. I, uh, I actually think that he's one. He's also a hidden gem in those movies. Yes. When in three, when he's talking about he can't, 
he doesn't know how to flip the screen on the tablet. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how to do it. What are you talking about? I'm a fan of him with his interactions with Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Yeah. Just yeah. he he wants nothing to do with him. He can't stand the little kid. And written with a comedic flair that a main character would have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when he comes in, when Spider-Man's like telling his story to his friend on the phone, he's like, yeah, and I did this, I did that. He just comes in and goes, we got thin walls here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, oh, it's comedic performance. I thought it was uh, absolutely crazy. But yeah, that that's my number four is Iron Man 3. What do you got in your fourth place? Mine is an episode. So it's a movie that we're about to cover on The Marvelous. You're going to hear this episode, I guess, within the next week or so. But Blade Trinity. Blade Trinity. Blade Trinity is, out of all the movies I've seen in my life, it's one of them. And <laughs> that's it, true. It's so... And it has a Pomeranian in it. It sure did. And it's a vampire. And a tri- a, a vampiric A vampiric uh, Pomeranian. And you know what? I remember thinking at the time, you want to cast a wrestler, you don't cast Edge in this? Like, they... they uh, or or <laughs> Christian. You know, or Gangrel. You know, Gangrel's not doing anything. You slide him in there. I mean, he he's directing porn now. Oh, that, that's good to know. Uh, yeah. That's a different that's kind a of blood That's need to know. <laughs> now you all know it. Oh, and the Impaler. Yeah. That all makes sense now. Oh. Uh, but, but, yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds also in that. Um, he does he does this uh, Origins Wolverine and Green Lantern poor guy before he gets this Deadpool uh, role. We were saying though on our episode of the Marvelists, it's a little sneak peek. He is it's like his audition for Deadpool. Yeah, and Hannibal King. I actually like the character. Like he's there's not much memorable about this movie. That that's the problem with Blade Trinity. It's a very forgettable movie. Yeah. When you look at the two films that preceded it, it's doesn't have things that make the other two work right and i I also feel like in a way it kind of distances itself from blade (laughs) like like like, it's like well blade's in it but we also have all these people look at uh, it's blade and friends heat waves in it heat wave plays uh dracula the guy who plays heat wave in legends of tomorrow and um the flash uh he plays dracula i can't remember dominic he's in prison break dominic not Cooper because no, that's no, Jesse no, no. But the but like sometimes looking at the comic book DNA of some of these uh actors, like going, Wow, you went from here to here and here to here. Um they they were David S. Goyer, wasn't he on this? Patton Oswalt is in it too. Yeah, I've heard he's had some some stories about uh Blade Three. Oh, he sure has. And that's the problem with this movie. It's just it's much maligned and you can see that it is. There's a lot of creative directional problems and he again Wesley is not even really there. Yeah. And kind of is a shame, you know? You want all of these characters to matter. Yeah. And he was, he was a tour de force in that first film, you know? So, like, yeah. to to try to move on without him or around him, like, we just place people around. Like, Jessica Biel does nothing in that film. The Again, the only character of importance in the film is Ryan Reynolds, which can, is funny. Can you remind me how it... If or how Whistler is alive, because I remember watching Blade One recently, and he he dies in Trinity. But doesn't he shoot himself in Blade One? He's like bit, and they give him a gun, and he's you hear like, a gunshot, and he's like Kenny on South Park. He's just gonna keep coming. Yeah, he just got Whistler. He just uh, keeps showing up. I thought that was kind of odd, but um, and with with Blade Trinity, it has the single most useless post credit scene in a movie ever. Oh it's my god, I forget it. What literally, it? just him driving in a car. And then it, it goes to credit, or it goes to black. It just like, lets you know that he he's still out there driving. He, uh, he's still driving after uh, riding on his motorcycle, 
in the opposite direction of traffic. Uh, Blade Trinity comes out in 2004. Uh, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 20 25%. What a shock. Um, budget of $65 million. It made 128 But a lot of these third movies do because they've already got a built-in brand. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, but 2004, I mean, we're still... We're still trying to figure out what this genre is about, right? In 2004. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we're that far off to get this film. <laughs> like, I don't think we're in the dark ages to be like, well, this, you I'm know. Also, this I'm also going to give my other grievance with Blade Trinity. And my partner, Eddie Wilson, he laughs at me when I say this. Mm-hmm. But because when I'm off mic, not in a PG-13 rating setting, I curse a lot. Right. And for me... Blade Trinity was an example of a movie where characters just swear for the sake of swearing. It doesn't have any value to it. Right. And it's literally the equivalent of a child who just learned all these words. I'm going to use these words and sound mature and adult. Yeah. No, you're not. You're Stop it. Which also speaks to what you were saying earlier about um, Ryan Reynolds seeming like Deadpool. That's where you yeah. get that kind of foul-mouthed, quippy... Because uh, he... Yeah, he... A lot of lines there, were improvised. There is a, there is a pretty profane... Uh, name he calls somebody some knuckle a some kind juggling of thunder sea oh there you go yeah, yeah yes yes that's exactly what it is uh and it's like wow where did that come from just like where did the pomeranian come from just like why do we have to fight dracula why is there a team um you uh you think blade 2 is uh better than one? Oh yeah i mean yeah. del toro it's it's del toro essentially auditioning to do hellboy yeah yeah, because you got, I mean, Perlman's in it too. Mignola's in uh, Blade 2 as well. He's involved as, uh, I believe, one of the uh, storyboard artists and everything. He was involved in the production. That makes a lot of sense. So. Do you think that better Blade movies could have um, competed with what was coming out at the time, the Spider-Mans and the X-Men? Here's the thing about the Blade movies. How I've seen it. David S. Goyer is embarrassed of doing comic book movies. I've said this for years. And when you look at the Blade movies, no one realizes they're comic book movies. You're right. Yeah, no, you're right. I remember thinking for a time I didn't even know, um, you know, which stories and, and characters were, you know, based on comics. And when you say that, when doing the research for the Man of Steel episode, I saw that he said that um, Ma and Pa is anachronistic. Like people don't say that anymore. And I was like, what do you? What do, you, what do you mean? People call themselves. People call their parents mom and pa. There's this place called the Midwest. Where oh, they still say that stuff. There's, there's places around the world, like just because in your pocket or in your world, like that's the whole point of the farm boy thing. It's like bringing yeah. it back to the heartland, and and being more old fashioned. But for you to just be like, it's the whole thing of like we need to reinvent something other. Like these things have lasted 75, 80 years. Some of them. Yeah. Why are we going back to the drawing board? Like I I get changing aesthetics. And modernizing things, but this whole we need to redefine what I think is is, is kind of a joke. I and um, hit the the success of the Nolan series probably hinges on the idea that they try to be as least comic book as possible. Yeah, and I I don't know. I just I feel would it have competed? Not really, it was going to go more against you know big budget action movies and horror movies. Yeah, and stuff like that. Like they they didn't consider comic book movies competition because it was this. Yeah, and it wasn't until the third movie where I believe they finally included the Marvel, you know, logo in there. Yeah, and then the I guarantee you, turn. somebody's going to see this. They're like, "Wait, Marvel? What? Yeah, Marvel movie? Comic? What's going on here?" So it's it's, it's essentially that. Yeah, 
Uh, so I'm guessing that you were not in the bag for the Sticky Fingers uh, <laughs> series, <laughs> Blade series. The On short, Spike TV. <laughs> the short-lived, yeah, you know us, we're Spike. Uh, the short-lived uh, series. Uh, I, That's hilarious. I mean, they, I heard they're trying to, well, they are trying again, aren't they? I heard they're, they're trying to reboot that whole Blade once, thing. Again. Once again, Schrodinger's uh, Wesley Snipes yes. is either involved with Marvel Studios and or is not. He's, oh, he's both. Because, yeah, that movie is completely 90s. So if we're taking another swing at, uh, at Spawn, I could see them doing another swing. I would love to see Wesley back, like, behind the sunglasses. You know, why not? Yeah. I mean, there's not many people that's going to get that tattoo on the back of the neck. That, that whole yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if he's still in it, I- I'm with it. My number three is Kick-Ass 2, which I believe you haven't seen. I have not. And that was one of those I just didn't care enough to go see it. Did you read Kick-Ass 2? I've read Kick-Ass 1 and 2. How does two, how does 2 play in the books? Does it feel better than 1? Does it feel more structured than 1? You can't go home. It's one of those. Like, the first Kick-Ass is one of the best comic books Like when I got back in in 2011. Yeah. It's great. Kick-Ass 2, it has parts where it's good, but it doesn't It doesn't compare to the original. You yeah. just can't. Um, I felt like... The first Kick-Ass in many ways was original and self-contained. Uh, and two, it felt like they li- they didn't really know what to do. So they just started adding... It's the same Blade Trinity issue. We'll just add in more characters because that's what people like, more characters. And they took what was um, not the... What I don't think are the hallmarks of Kick-Ass and went large in them. A lot of like poop humor and sex stuff, which happens in the comics as well. Yeah. But to to a point, a lot of... It gets back to being serious. A lot of even um, the film at points gets back to you realizing that there's stakes to be had. Two doesn't feel like any of that. Two just feels like a, a, a romp, a, a kind of like send up of superhero stuff um, in a bad way, not in a like a we love it so we parody it. It feels like a well we we're not really in the back of this. And Hit Girl was so you know um, dynamic in both the comics and the film for being a small child that I feel like that novelty kind of goes away in the same way that the point that I made with Chris O'Donnell, I think that you eventually uh, don't get the same hit girl because she's older. And I know that might sound mean, right? right. Like, I know that may sound like probably not the nicest but... thing to say, but the child, um, the gimmick works because it's a child, because yeah. she's a small child. When you start playing into junior high school, early high school hit girl, it just feels weird, especially when you don't really know how the main character they almost play with a romance a little bit in the film do they do that with the in the book i haven't touched the book in so many years. it was this weird like i'm not with any of this when you first met she you were like 14 and she was like four like i don't i'm not with yeah. you know listen all i gotta say is we got r&b singers currently dealing with, with the repercussions of doing stuff like this i don't necessarily want to see it in my superhero films what, what about wheelchair jimmy from degrassi oh right yeah now oh uh. my god that yeah that is not going i've i've heard some stranger things but <laughs> wow <laughs> but <laughs> but um it doesn't help the fact that uh the first movie was known for its gratuitous language and, and, and uh, violence. So the second one doubles down on that. And then one of the most highest marquee characters or actors on this film, Jim yep. Carrey, comes out and he's like, this was terrible. We should have never done this because uh, uh, the Sandy Hook uh, murders had just happened. Yes. Uh, uh, the Sandy Hook shooting. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I denounced this film. I denounced gun violence. I, I should have never did it. Don't go see it. <laughs> and people were like, what? People were like, what? And Wait no one went to see it. And then no one went to see it. And so... It, it, it's so weird for them to denounce it the way that they did, but they, they did. And I think all of that screams bad sequel. I think all of that, uh, you actually saved yourself some trouble. I have it. 
because I want them both to remind myself. Yeah. And the thing is, I remember watching, uh, getting ready for the podcast where we did um, Kick-Ass 1. I watched both to try to gauge. And I watched the first one. I'm like, I remember this. It felt like a refreshing drink that you haven't had in a while. And the second one felt like homework. Like, okay, what? An hour left? All right. I'm yeah, a completionist with a lot of this stuff. So, like, I understand the whole, I got to get that version too. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I was looking through my DVDs and I saw that I had Fan Forstick. And I was like, why did I buy that? Dude, I and have it on must... DVD and uh, uh, Blu-ray. So. See? And I must, it must literally just be, I wanted them all. I wanted all the comic book movies, so they're yeah. not, that's how I got that. I own Jonah Hex. I haven't seen it, Yeah, I heard it's terrible. I haven't seen it either, but that's Brolin. That's Brolin, you know, starting his comic book, uh, starting his comic book stuff. Yeah, Kick-Ass 2. That's my number three. I mean, again, technically he did. He was in Men in Black. Yes, he was. Which, wait, that was after... Uh, they took way too long, and but that's another thing. When sometimes when they take too long with these sequels, that's the, that's the it's death, a death nail. nail. That's the death nail right there because people have lost their interest, and uh, or you've forgotten what it was that took the, these original uh, movies to where they are. I'm looking at you, Rush Hour Three. And speaking of forgotten, <laughs> I'm going to go with my number three: X Men Apocalypse. A movie so bad I don't Ooh, even remember most of it. X Men Apocalypse. X Men Apocalypse. A movie which for no reason had a Dragon Ball Z fight in the middle of it that lasted so damn long that I wanted it to end. I remember thinking to myself, why is Magneto just floating there? He's just he's just floating there in a ball of metal. And no one's touching him. No one's trying to touch him. At one point, they legit just go have a conversation with him. They they pop Quicksilver over there and pick Quicksilver like, yeah, I think you're my pop and stuff. <laughs> and it's real like it's real nonchalant. I I um I have some some X-Men Apocalypse is a movie where halfway through the movie, I was watching it, and I forgot Apocalypse was the villain of the movie called <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. So, it was a movie that, we, you and I both talk off mic about it, they got very ballsy with one comment in the film. Yes. And it was a scene where they go, you see, I believe, Gene Scott going to go see, on date night, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And as they walk out, the comment is made. You know, the third movie of every trilogy is always the weakest one. You really shouldn't have said that. Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. Really, uh, yeah. You, you, you played yourself. Yeah, you definitely played yourself with that. There are two main issues I have with X Men Apocalypse, and they don't even have to do with Apocalypse. And the thing is, I do not like that character. I don't like the portrayal. I don't like the, uh, the 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 design of it. Any of that stuff because I'm. I'm real big on the uh, lips go to the end of your face apocalypse yeah, I <laughs> from you. the animated series oh, yeah. uh, with the tubes hanging out everywhere and the big A on the belt. That's how you know he's apocalypse. Well, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> the no, branding, well, man. He's Adam West, man. <laughs> you got to have that. You got to have the branding. Um, the two main problems that I end up having is I think that they missed an incredible opportunity to recast Wolverine because I think yeah. that by – I think that by – I remember thinking that Days of Future Past was up there to me with Flashpoint is as one of the most ingenious ways to change your continuity. To use time travel and say, well, all those things that you remember before, they're all gone and we're going to start straight from scratch. And so I loved uh, First Class. And then you get Days of Future Past and I'm like, okay, this is, I, I can I can play with this as long as they are tying that up. And Days of Future Past, they do. They tie up um, that timeline and Wolverine wakes back up in that world and that's a whole separate timeline from what we're dealing with now with McAvoy and um, Fastman. So yeah. I'm like, we're, I'm like, we're finally good. We're free of the of the singer X-Men. We're in this new territory, new young actors. We're good. And then Hugh Jackman shows up and I'm like, I dig you as Wolverine, bro. 
but you legitimately had a you could have made a star in this moment. You legit and the, the Weapon X. You have the whole Weapon X review, and I'm like, you you one, you could have done the movie without Wolverine. Two, if you had the Wolverine, why this Wolverine? Why are we going yeah. back to this Wolverine again? Because guess what? Now with Dark Phoenix, we're going to be looking for Wolverine. Because Hugh Jackman ran away in Apocalypse. And so seemingly he's in the woods somewhere. He's going to come back to be a part of the, the X-Men. showman. Yes. That's, that's he's, he's touring singing, around singing Singing, singing with songs. Zendaya. <laughs> um, and he has to, Wolverine has to come back. And when he comes back looking like, uh, man, I, I don't even want to throw any names out there to, to jinx the casting. But when he comes back, um, and he doesn't look like Hugh Jackman. What what does that even say? Yeah. And the shoehorn, Gene, unleash your power, is one of the funniest things. It's like if she could do this this whole time, and you knew she could do this this whole time, we wasted a whole bunch of time. Yeah. And and the and not to mention that uh you know, ancient rituals will make you lose your hair. Sometimes. Poor poor Charles. Sometimes. Poor Chuck. He's like ah, oh, uh, all of it, uh, a lot of it. And I I went there very happy because again. I was ready to see 90s X-Men. Storm, Jubilee sometimes. Uh, Jubilee (laughs) was like the biggest uh, bait and switch for me because I love the character of Jubilee. Yeah. And to see her like advertised in like the, you know, the, uh, there was a Charles Xavier's Mutant Academy viral video. And it was was the cast. Yeah. And she's like prominently in it. It It's like tracking and bad focus and all that stuff. It's five seconds in the actual movie. It was awesome. Yeah, they had bad tracking in it. It, it seemed like a product of the 80s. Really, really well done. And then they, did, they didn't capitalize on it. What I loved was originally, and I was waiting because I thought, oh, they're going to do this. At the end of that viral video, they included a phone number. And you call it and Stan Lee, Stan Lee, true believer. This is the <laughs> Charles Xavier School. Blah, blah, blah. That's and cool. at the end, you could leave a voicemail. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, cool. And, you know, give your name and address. I'm like, oh, they're going to give us some free swag. And then later on, like later that day, you call. They took that part off, uh, and I was like, "Oh, so only the first X amount of people, no pun intended, right? <laughs> you know, could get something free. Mm-hmm. Never got anything. Ah, that's terrible. So I and would, that, so you felt cheated by the movie twice. <laughs> kind of, yeah. But my problem with X Men Apocalypse is it's just a, such a forgettable movie. Much like Blade Trinity, it's just a nothing film that they could have done so much. And to quote Krennic in Rogue One. You were this close to greatness. <laughs> That's it. My uh, my other quote from that is learning. Because <laughs> yeah. he has to say out loud <laughs> what he's doing while he's touching a television. The only good learning. thing about that movie was the Quicksilver scene. And I hate to yeah. say it. It's just a repeat of the previous Quicksilver it is. scene. It is. It just has a, a song you like more. Yeah. I love <laughs> so, the Eurythmic, so yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. Uh, it, just, it just has a song that you like more. Um. I, it's not on my list, but I think it, you know, paired up with this, we have to talk Last Stand. Um, and what that hurts me about the Last Stand is I think it has one of the best comic book castings of all time, with the Beast as Kelsey Grammer. Oh, for God's sakes! I, I think my oh my stars yeah. and God, he's, he's perfect. <laughs> he is so perfect, and so he plays it so serious. He plays it so true to true to the character. He's it's, in blue makeup, yeah. It's the character, and he's he's wearing designer suits with fur sticking out of the, out of the neck and stuff. Where I felt like the way that they play is it Nicholas Holt in the in the I'm not sure newer the films, names. but he he never wants to be Beast. He's barely yeah. ever Beast. He's on serums to not be Beast. He's doing all kinds of like yoga to not be Beast. Meanwhile, Kelsey Grammer's going to board meetings and he's chilling. He's blue. He knows he's blue, and he's good. But 
like I don't think we're ever gonna get that good of a beast again. I, I don't hope, know. I hope we do one day. I mean, in all honesty, now with the Fox deal like nearing completion, it's gonna happen. Like honestly, I've been predicting with the MCU's introduction of the X Men, we're gonna get them giant size X Men number one version on. That's the be best. That. That's the best uh, route to go. I, I think. think no. yeah, I think it's gonna be that. Then like you know the third X Men movie, we're gonna see like Kitty Pride show up or something, and Kitty Pride is a character that even in the the movies we've seen, they don't utilize that character whatsoever. No. Ellen and Page is like just a one and done and then the, the extent of her in Last Stand is a, a foil for Rogue. Like yeah. a, a romantic foil for Rogue. And Iceman's in a love triangle. Like what what parts of this movie and Wolverine's in a love triangle. Like what what is about this movie? I, I, I really dis dislike Last Stand and I remember thinking, um Oh wow! They killed Cyclops. Cyclops off like during the credits. Like this is the right. movie just started. Cyclops is dead. Oh, Professor X is dead now. Okay, this is getting kind of weird. The, uh, the thing with Last Stand was it was an average movie that it didn't need the uh, Dark Phoenix subplot. Yeah, much like another movie that we're going to get to. I believe we're getting to. We're, we're probably we'll get, get to, to that. We're probably we'll, we'll, we'll discuss <laughs> that. But but yeah. why why the phoenix we spoke a little bit about this um off air but are when i think of the x-men they're fighting other mutants or other threats to their race um whereas i feel like these movies make it a point ham-fistedly sometimes that they always have to fight humans that are actively trying to make them extinct as a, as a as a novice to the um comics is that the case is it always evil humans Sometimes fighting the X Men, but it's it's mostly superpowered mutants. Okay, like it's usually that. trying to prey on humanity more. Yeah, then... like they're trying to. No, we're the good guys. Trust us, we're the good guys. We're the good mutants. Those are the bad mutants. Get away from them. Right, right. It's got to stick. Because this is always it always feels like it circles right back around to Jean Grey, yeah. and even the comics like she just came back. You know, uh, the... she came back recently. Yeah, with the Matthew Rosenberg stuff. Right. So I'm like, I don't know whether or not this is a trope or it's the best part of it. And I don't I want it to the be best the best part, to be honest. But Jean Grey was gone for so long, especially yeah. during the Claremont run. So when she finally does make her return, it's impactful. But okay, she should have been gone for a lot longer. Yeah, that's just my opinion. Because I saw that they were trying to do some interesting things with Hope Summers uh, and Cable with that whole Messiah. Um, is it Messiah Complex? I think, think I think it's called that Messiah Complex, but. Um, and I actually thought they were going to allude to that in Deadpool. I thought they were going to talk about Hope and, you know, that's my daughter and all this other kind of stuff. I love all of the Deadpool stuff and how it's kind of like some people don't realize that the Deadpool movies are connected to the X-Men. Movies. Yes. And they're, they, I think they live in their own continuity, too, to be honest. Yeah. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But also some characters that should appear in the uh, X-Men movies appear in the Deadpool movies instead. Yeah, that's true. And it happens. Yeah. I I thought that Deadpool, before this Fox deal went through, I thought that Deadpool was going to be their way of fixing everything. I thought they were going to do some kind of time travel. Because yeah. we already knew Cable was going to be in it. So I already knew that they were going to try to do some time travel stuff. And this, that, and the third. And next thing you know, you blink. And we have a new X-Men. Or we have a new... Like, I I really didn't think that they were going to do Dark this Dark Phoenix movie. I thought they were going to find some way to, to I, axe it. I have a controversial opinion that some people vehemently disagree with me on. Okay. Once Upon a Deadpool mm. is the final time we're going to see Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. Wow. Because 
Marvel doesn't want to admit that Fox had some successes. Ah. So we will see a new Deadpool. It's going to be like the electing of a Pope, but in, right. in black suit. And I mean, I, that that that's a big deal, but when you also consider the fact that the character just got into movie prominence, a lot of a lot of what made that character popular existed before Ryan Reynolds did, you yeah. know. And I I I love Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool, but a lot of Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool is Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds. You yeah. know, like what you're saying, he's done this kind of stick in other movies before. Um, do you think the character lives and dies by Ryan Reynolds? Or? No, because in all honesty, there's a lot of actors out there that could do a solid Wade Wilson. Yeah, and I've gone on record saying it, and people, some people are like, "Well, that's a good idea," and other people are like, "That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard." Mm-hmm. Johnny Knoxville would be a good pick. Oh, he actually would. Like, when you hear his one laugh he does in the Jackass movies when he's in absolute pain, Yeah, that's Deadpool. Yeah. I can hear Deadpool going, ah! <laughs> Right, right. Psychotic laugh. Yeah. Oh, no, but... But, yeah, I just... I don't know. Um, are you hyped for Dark Phoenix? Do you think that this can be what changes stuff like Apocalypse and... I mean, because this would be the sequel to the movie that you didn't like. Too much. One site is going on saying right now that it's supposed to be on par with Fanforstic. Mm-hmm. Apparently, according to early test screenings. Yeah. I'm nervous. Right. I liked the trailer. I liked seeing the uh, Frank Quitely costumes on the X-Men. I'm like, holy crap, they're really you know going all out for this. Yeah, there was also some set photos of the Grant Morrison um, uh, yeah, that's the outfits. One. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just so cool to see that. I wasn't, I wasn't um, impressed by the rehashing of the beginning of X3 where you see like the the quiet suburbs and yeah. they're going to go recruit Gene. I like I we literally have it. Like you said again, like I can, if I wanted to see that I could just turn on Stanley X3. Stanley is gonna be having a host pretend <laughs> it's a dong. I also there, um Last Stand has some bad de aging in it. In the beginning, when uh, well, that's the uh, early days of them yeah. trying this thing they out. even tried it in Origins with, with uh Professor X and it's like yeah, Calm it down a little bit. Calm yeah. it down. Calm it down just a little bit. They're getting a little too CGI crazy. Um, and speaking of, well, some 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 minor bad CGI. I, I have a feeling that our number twos are similar but different, because my number two is going to be a personal uh, uh, disappointment for me. Spider Man Three. And I will argue defending Spider Man Three partially. <laughs> um. On this podcast, we do a uh, episode called "Which Is Worse," in which uh, two malign movies we compare and try to defend against one another. And I defended vehemently "Amazing Spider-Man 2" over uh, "Spider-Man 3." Um, and I will, I guess, I'll continue a bit of that narrative here. I, when you see the success of, of Venom, Venom, you can, Venom. <laughs> you, you can, you can almost there's a through line to Spider-Man 3. Um, I don't like. I think um, Spider-Man Three is the is the confirmation that Mary Jane is a terrible love interest for Peter Parker in that trilogy. Um, I think that Maguire needs to man up a little bit in that trilogy. I feel like there's a lot of just him being pushed around by the world, and I guess that Peter, that is very Peter Parker, right? Yeah. That the world pushes him around. But I also want some agency. I also want him to do things. Um, I. There, I cannot say enough about uh, Surfboard Goblin. Not a fan <laughs> of the Oakleys or the or the or the um, the Winter Soldier mask. Uh, not a fan of Harry Osborn getting an amnesia as a plot point. Um, not a fan of 
there's a scene in it that I always point to as this is why I don't like this movie. And it is Mary Jane and Harry Osborne making an omelet. <laughs> just they're just making an omelet and they're dancing in the kitchen. And I'm like, why is this in my Spider-Man movie? Why? Come on, baby. Yeah, I'm like, what is going on here? Who put this? And you would think that the dancing scene I would be pointing to is the one that everyone yeah. points to, which is, you know, that's bad enough as it is. But in this movie, you have Spider-Man striking Mary Jane in the face well, by accident. I forgot about that. It's by accident, but he does. And he also brings another girl to her job to get her jealous and do a complete, like, dance sequence there. And it's just like, what did I do to deserve this? Spider-Man 2 was so good. Uh, uh, Doc Ock was so good. Sandman literally comes and goes he doesn't get arrested for any of his crimes he goes you know i don't think i that was that great all those things i did see ya (laughs) just he he goes the way of half the mcu in affinity war and he just disappears on the topic of uh, spider-man 2 i always make a purpose to go over to joe's pizza on bleaker street Uh, which was the pizzeria not the exact building it turns out which shame uh, shame. that sucks but the pizza that was done in spider-man 2 I ah, make a point to go there. I that's do pretty keto, cool. but I still make a point to go there. <laughs> they um, and then the Flatiron Building was the, the Daily Bugle, which is that's pretty cool. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, that that was uh pretty dope. And I, I like I said, I dig that it's in New York. You wasted Gwen Stacy. Yes. Poor, poor Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, She's very forgettable in this movie. Yes. Um, I didn't even think George Stacy's in this film. Yeah. I think it's the guy who was in Babe. i think he he plays george stacy in that film again another like we just put him in to put him in there um there there are parts in sam when sam is fighting where i just want to say imhotep imhotep over and over again (laughs) well here's my thing okay with this movie venom is essentially shoehorned in because studio interference they want this yeah but when you look at the spider-man movies and when you rewatch them now, you'll probably notice this. Those movies are a love letter to the 60s. Yeah. They are the cheesy lines, but it's still like the heart of what Spider-Man was. Right down to the point where Spider-Man 2 takes the Spider-Man outfit in a trash can and makes it into an iconic thing. It's not yeah. a cover. That's not the cover whatsoever of that issue. It's a panel, and it made it iconic. It made it like it, people think that that was the cover of that Spider-Man or more <laughs> uh, story arc. And it's so cool, but... Those movies, one and two, are his love letter to the 60s comic book. The Silver Age of Stan and Jack, Stan and John Romita Sr., all those guys. And what I love about those first two, again, just the incorporation of the Sinister Six. Right. You could tell that Sam fell off before the 1980s stuff, the Todd Father era, yeah. where you have Venom, Venom, and you also have Carnage in characters like that. So, more more nuanced, I guess you would say. Uh, they they those characters have an additional layer that the sixties kind of didn't. Yeah. Um, and they even find ways to redeem some of those villains to be here. It's like a Doc Ock now, right? Like yep. things change. Um, and now that you say that, I could see a Spider-Man three without Venom that can still play well, it, and with and with Sandman in it, same same uh you know character, same action scenes and stuff. But they really had to put the Venom stuff in there. Studio and they, interference, dude. And then the absolute truth. Nothing screams um, uh, misunderstanding of the source material more than Venom is black Spider-Man. Is Spider-Man in just a black suit. And I've always gone on record saying Topher Grace would have made a great Peter Parker. 
he would have. When I heard he was cast as Venom, I already didn't like it. And I was a big wrestling fan. And I was like, you want Eddie Brock? Get Brock Lesnar. I've always said <laughs> that too. Put, just put Brock Lesnar. He could be a meathead uh, photographer. And then you just airbrush him. You don't even have to do CGI. You airbrush the guy black. And you got Eddie Brock. Brock Lesnar. You had the flat top too. With the name. He had Brock in there. <laughs> you know, everything was good. Uh, why? Uh, the only reason why I for Grace is because they said, well, it's just the doppelganger of Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. so we just need another Peter Parker and we'll just flip that guy. And He's blind. And it's like that. And what's weird is it does have semblance of brilliance. That church scene where he gets the venom stuff, I like that scene where it falls on him and it, you see him trying to get out of it and it's literally just grabbing on top of him, uh, you know, these tendrils. Dear God, please kill Peter Parker. I will never forget that there's a movie in which a villain axes God to kill uh, the His superhero. Fault, yeah. Like, what is going on here? You have a whole sequence of a wedding ring that I don't feel like is needed. Um, it, like I said, um, all the amnesia stuff. Mary Jane breaks up with him for the fifth time in this film. It's just, it's just that, the, the other Russian girl. What's up with that? Making yeah. cookies? Was, was that like a? Were they gonna go somewhere with that? Rent. Yeah, yeah, but he was like Dikovich is my favorite like sub character in all of those movies. But he puts him up against the wall in that movie. I think he's like, listen, I'll have your rent when I say I have your rent. Now, you know, if you want unhinged Venom Spider-Man, it doesn't get better than Shocker! Shocker! Uh, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth! <laughs> which brings me to my number two, Amazing Uh-oh. Spider-Man 2. Ah, there and you go. I knew we were going to throw that with this. It's partially tied with my number one, but not really. Okay. No, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a film that fails on the dismount over and over and over again. You have the most perfect Spider-Man costume. It's like in, it is one of the best interpretations of Spider-Man's suit. Yeah. But a good suit in a movie does not make a good movie. No. And it's very forgettable. The whole, I believe there was a spy aspect. Again, just. Yeah, the whole like Peter Parker's parents. Yeah. Might be uh, secret agents. Andrew Garfield was a fantastic Spider-Man, but a terrible Peter Parker. And then some people have gone on record saying, oh, he's he's great in both elements. I'm like, no, he's a, he is a Forever 21 model. Yeah. And I think he had I think he had better chemistry with Gwen than than Homeboy has. Now, they were actually together, though. So I guess that may speak to that. Andrew Garfield did, did date Emma Stone around the time of this of the, those films. Um, I'll give you that Max Dillon is probably worse than, than, uh, I'll I, say he's worse than Sandman. I don't think he's worse than Venom. I love Sandman as a villain in Spider-Man yeah. 3 because the whole duality of he just, he's a good guy at his heart, but he didn't want to do any of what he did. Then you have Max Dillon, who is a complete tweet and it's not really, that's like, he is so awkward. I I actually would have liked if he would have kept the awkwardness. It was actually weird to me that once he gets the powers, he's kind of like cool and suave. I, he's like cracking jokes and stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of the Nutty Professor. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I, I buddy I, love. I can't get behind it. Like the costume looks cool. Yeah, but again, it's one of those it did a disservice to the source material to the point where Marvel was like, you know, we'll kind of copy and make our version of Electro look like this. I'm like, no. I want the big dumb star head. Yeah. But it's one of those costumes that really doesn't transfer over to the big screen. Right. I've actually gone on record saying the Suicide Squad Harley Quinn is fine. And when you see in one part of the movie where she wears the Harlequin outfit, 
It looks kind of weird. It looks so strange. Yeah, it looks kind of weird. Yeah, it doesn't work. And it doesn't it doesn't sit on her as you would think one of those outfits uh, would. Um, let's see what else we can dig about a little bit about Amazing Spider-Man Two. Oh, how do you feel about Paul Giamatti? <laughs> my good friend, or not my good friend, my my favorite actor, Paul Giamatti. He's giving me the big time PG. <laughs> to quote again, to quote the boys from We Hate Movies, but. I am the rhino. Forgettable. This is my accent, and I am the rhino. There's a scene in that movie, though, that I think puts it above Spider-Man 3. And it's actually the ending scene. I actually think Peter Parker talking to that little kid, you know, saying, you you did good, but I you know, I got it from here. And then he goes on top of the, the cop cars, and he has the bullhorn. He was very... I like quippy Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Yeah, same here. Uh, my favorite line from the first Amazing Spider-Man is, Oh no, knife's my one weakness. Yeah, like, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think that, that he was able to have those moments there. But I do agree that there's times where I'm just like, There's a... Oh, you know what? <laughs> when I was trying to defend it, I still had to see like... Okay, that wasn't all that great. There's a scene in that film where he sets up a almost... um. Like John Doe's uh, diary esque, <laughs> uh, 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 those weird like crime string. He's gonna find out who the Zodiac killer. Yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And so he's doing this for his parents. I think it's it's what it is. Spoilers, by the way, it's Ted Cruz. <laughs> he uh, he does it for his parents. I think he does uh, to find what happened with all that kind of stuff. And so there's a montage. They play they play music, literally like top forties music in the background, like like alternative something yeah. and he's just putting up all this stuff to find his parents and he sits down and he goes <sighs> and then aunt may comes in and Aunt May's like what the hell is all this and then later he just rips it off and throws it in the garbage there was no need for any of it in the movie because yeah. nothing comes of it he throws it in the, he all throws it in the trash and literal moments of the, a minute of that film can be shaved off because they don't do anything no character progression no kind of um uh like None of the plot is being uh, directed or any of that kind of stuff. And it's just like, what did you, who was this part for? Because the espionage stuff is not for the comic fan. I don't know where that, I, I know that there's some comics where they are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And they, there is some kind of weird stuff. But if you're going to follow every comic book, uh, Spider-Man comic book stuff to the T, a lot of it gets kind of hairy. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. because this seems like the next movie would have been about the clone conspiracy. And then you would have to deal with all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't want that. Exactly. But. This movie also has the most useless post-credit scene in the sense, well, not Blade Trinity style, but yeah, useless in the sense that nothing ever came of it. Oh, yeah. The hype up for the Sinister Six movie that got scrapped. It did get me excited though. But uh, what this movie has that also Spider-Man Three has as crappy is the whole "let's team up to kill the spider" uh, scene, where I gotta go and kind of convince you to, that I don't know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but let's kill this superhero. And it's like, I mean, come on, you got. I my spider sense is tingling. He's pointing at his junk in Spider Man Three. There's a, there's a lot of these bad in these two Spider Man films. Yeah. And to think that um, we said it on the last cast that Spider Man is now having a, a a year and change. When you could you know Infinity War, um, the the new run on in the comics starting from F, uh, issue eight hundred, these restarted to number ones. Spider Geddon's in the comics. Spider Man PS Four. Uh, killing it in sales and in storyline, and then into the Spider Verse. Like it's, now, it's been a great year for Spider Man. We're definitely getting the Spider Man that we deserve. We're at a point, at two different points now that we've discussed. It was like this is the best that we get from this. Like maybe we should not do the Spider Man stuff anymore. And for a while, we were cool with just 
I guess we're just not going to touch him for a while. And then he pops up in the MCU, says, hi, guys, and we're back in love. So yeah. uh, I guess that's all it takes. Because all it, it, it just takes people caring. It takes the foresight of caring about the characters and uh, character progression. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm, I already, I can already feel the hate coming, but I, I'm gonna name what I consider the worst sequel of all time. Winter and, Soldier. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's not my best friend Josh saying that. <laughs> Does Who, he really believe that? Yes, and he thinks Fantastic Four is a, uh, Fan Four Stick is a better movie. I, um, Dan the Comic Man thinks that Age of Ultron is better than Avengers One, and thinks that Avengers One is one of the lesser, lesser. I used, lesser. I used to think that, and then I did the. Infinity Road to Infinity War rewatch for the Marvelous and yeah yeah Age of Ultron has to do a lot of things I have it on my list as disappointing but not um I because I if you you want to see Avengers two it's Civil War that's Avengers two this yeah, is like I Avengers one that. and a half or something <laughs> like like, like so Lion King well one executed. and a half <laughs> yeah it's so well executed but um, number one my number one is the maligned Batman versus Superman ooh. Now, okay. now that that is may may not be a tried and true sequel to some, but when you consider Somewhere that John this was oh, I already know, I already know he, is. and I love you, brother. I love you, Yogi. Just know that, uh, you're, <laughs> and you'll be you'll be on this uh, cast soon to defend. But I think that um, when you consider that this film was supposed to be Man of Steel two, when yeah. you consider that this film has been sort of kind of marketed since I Am Legend. I was going to say that. I was going to say you know that. When you consider that this film has probably the two most iconic superheroes of all time, and for it to fall the way that it did, for it to be as long as it was, for it to get the characterizations as wrong as it did, to the point that now both sides are making jokes at the same movie. Both DC and Marvel make jokes at the same plot points in BVS. Um, everyone, uh, or, or everyone dying. made it. Everyone dying in Man of Steel. They talk about. They talk about the Martha scene from BVS constantly. I I I can't put anything else but BVS. And what's weird is you think of movies that were um that were poorly made or something like. A lot of people want to scream the fan for the Fantastic Four films. Um, I don't even think those were poorly made. I think those are of their time and of the and of the understanding of we don't got to do this all comic book stuff. We can do what we want, and people will still like it anyway. But BVS could have been like I, everything from it when you consider that this came after the dark knight trilogy like we get off on such a high of the batman character and then this and then um uh we've always been criminals alfred Wh- what why what wh- when did that happen um you're not a god you're not even a man Batman, why did Batman say that? Why, why is everyone so angry? Why is everyone so sad? And then Why you, is everything so dark? Then you want to blink, get to Justice League, and be like, he was more of a human than I was. When? When did I have that discussion? When did I have that talk? <laughs> when did you? Oh, he's, you know, he's one of my best friends when he passed. When? Was that before or after you shot him with a face full of, of, of a kryptonite? And what, what, what angers me about BVS the most is its liberal use of classic comic book stories. It's liberal use of the Dark Knight Returns. It's liberal use of the death of Superman. You don't get to do those things. You have to work to that. And I felt like them just pulling those off the shelf, it wasn't good enough. Um, I think that Amy Adams is sort of kind of forgettable. It actually is the movie that's making me think that I want a different Lois Lane. Yeah. She, um, does, she doesn't look the part either. She doesn't look like Lois Lane, the black hair. Like, yeah. why are you a redhead now? Yeah. Just because 
she's naturally a redhead, so that's just what it is. It's an example that I, again, I'm always rooting for DC. People don't believe me, but I am. I want to see them succeed. But when you have Henry Cavill, who I get, it was with a contract thing with or some BS about the mustache. Oh, that was, yeah. That where, sunk it. That sunk the entire film. Where that happened with Justice League, where she doesn't want to do that. You have these people that don't really care enough about your characters. They're, this is an iconic character that's been around for decades. You're the newest personification of them, and you don't care enough to embrace that role. It's it's a shame. And these characters have not only had great movies, Batman just got off a, a tremendous trilogy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm angered by the idea that they felt that they couldn't do a Superman 2 without Batman. The idea that they didn't have that much stock in the Superman character. And I argue that Zack Snyder makes a Superman for people who don't like Superman, as opposed to... Zack Snyder makes a a Batman movie and a Superman movie for people who haven't read Batman or Superman stuff or just did a quick glance at it. Yeah. He doesn't get get them. It's one of two things, right? You either have never read them or you love them so much that any iteration of them is good enough. And here's the thing. My initial viewing of it in the theaters back in the day, the theater, I saw it and I liked it. Second viewing, I liked it more. Third viewing, I started noticing some of the nitpicks that people would say on the internet. And it didn't influence my opinion, but as someone who watches a lot of these movies, I'm like, ah, that kind of makes sense. Where I'm watching the the Snyder Cut, because Mm -hmm. hashtag release the Snyder Cut for Justice League 2. Right. No, don't let that crack escape. (laughs) But I'm watching it, and he just doesn't care about the characters. Killing off Jimmy Olsen is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. No, you're right. I I always look to the scene. There's a scene in which he's talking to Lois. He's telling Lois, like, yeah, Lex has my mom, and I have to go kill Superman now. And then he kind of just turns to the side and floats away. It's the most depressing Superman. Like, I have to go kill somebody now. <laughs> he just turns his head and floats away. And then the scene where he's saving all the, um, uh, he's in Mexico saving the people from the burning building. And they're all like touching him like he's a god. And he has this face like, another day at the office. And every time he has to save somebody, he's so like. I'll counteract <sighs> though with a, a feeling about that. Do you think the reason he is like that now is because. It's no longer new to him. It's like the equivalent of like when you go to a comic book signing and you go to like Neil Gaiman is the prime example. Mm-hmm. Neil, Sandman is my favorite comic ever. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because he's heard it so many times. Yeah. Well, I think I think that that's true, and I think that's also very true of of normal human normal human beings. Yeah. But I also feel like Superman should rise above that. Superman should find the excitement in every single interaction I because that. I, I do believe that. It's because of Man of Steel that I've gone deeper and tried to find what I like about Superman. And one of the things I feel like is the best parts of Superman is that he focuses on the individual. He's very much about the ones and twos. And they come together as a group. Whereas Batman paints the entire group one color and then deals with the ones and twos. I feel like Superman is very much like, no, the individual has the power to be good. And so it's up to me to save the individual. I need to save every one person. Because they could all be good. In this film, you get, well, if there's a 1% chance, i got to kill him. And my problem with uh, Batman in this film is that 
I- I'll go with you. I'll go with you to the ends of the earth with a lot of this comic book stuff, right? Because there's been comics for Batman's a vampire. There's been comics for Batman with Superman's Russian. There's been all kinds of stuff. So I'll go with you to the ends of the earth with this kind of with this kind of deal. But with this in particular, I'm I'm on the road. Okay, he's gonna kill him. He's gonna kill Superman because he just saw what he did, and he did do a lot of damage. And from my background knowledge, Batman's kind of paranoid. Batman yeah. doesn't like when things are not in his control or when there's something that he can't understand or he feels like is a threat against him. They play this really well with Tony Stark. Tony Stark has a threat from space and he's so, his mind is boggled because he has nothing in that tool chest that's going to face off against anything from space. So from that moment that he sees those aliens, he's a man on a mission building stuff to fight against Thanos to the point that when you see him in Infinity War, he's kind of stocked. He kind of does have... It's his paranoia that let him be a, a a threat against Thanos. Now, all that for a drop of blood or whatnot, but still a threat. In this, Batman does the same. There's an alien. I need to have a suit that, that can block off against him, and I need to have poisons that can weaken him and then kill him. I don't... I really don't... And I know this, is, this has been harped on a million times. I really don't get how the idea that this man also, like you, has a mother. You're I don't get how that stops. I don't get how that stops... Batman, because the Batman I know is focused and he doesn't kill. So if he has decided to kill and he's over you with the death weapon, it's happening. Yeah. Batman is one of the most uh direct <laughs> and like if I'm if I'm on this path and determined, I'm going to do it. He scratches his face and everything. I think in that scene, if you're talking about real Batman, he says save Martha. Batman says, How dare you? And he stabs him in the face with the kryptonite. Because guess what? you know who else has a mom, Peter? Zod has a mom. And in the same situation, if in Man of Steel, Zod would have been the one to kill Superman and uh, disappeared. And Batman hunted him down and was like, please, I have a, I have a mother. Is that enough? And then Zod would just laser his face off and then the fight's over. That 1%, Bruce, still exists yeah. with him on the floor, with him screaming for his mom. That 1% still exists. That 1% where you pick Batman being, like, befuddled. Not a thing. Batman doesn't go, you said what? And then and then they made him seem like a PTSD victim because he literally just went back to that night. Like, he literally just stopped what he was doing and saw the pearls again. And he's like, not again. And it became a whole thing for him. And I'm like, get Batman away from the, the murkiness. Get Superman away from the, the, the depression. And then Martha in that movie's like, you don't owe them anything. And I'm like, can someone tell Superman that it is, it is his duty and destiny, with great power comes great responsibility, and that he can be the better of us all, without the burden of, you have to be the bridge, and you will feel the warm on your face, and all that other kind of stuff. It it was too flowery. It was too mytho- uh, mythological. Ground these guys. Ground yeah. them. It worked when you grounded them in, in, the, in the Dark Knight trilogy. But for some reason... I did a whole month's worth of binging Superman and Batman content to get ready for this film. And I remember when I finished it, the first thing I thought was, well, there was good parts. And that's not what you should, that's not how you should feel at the end of this. When they killed Superman, I was jaw dropped because we all knew Justice League was coming. This movie was called Dawn of Justice. So it's like, if they would have killed Blade in two, knowing three is coming. It's like, why did you do that? And then, well, you don't got to worry that Superman is dead because the dirt is rising. So, obviously, he's going to be able to come to life by himself. 
But he's not, because we get to Justice League, and we need to throw a mother box in the water. We need to throw a toaster in the water while he's in there, so that he can get back to life. BBS is a, is a black mark on the mythos of those two characters, and I have no qualms about saying that I think it's one of the worst superhero uh, sequels of all time. So, for mine, <laughs> mine is also going to be throwing a certain cowled crusader in there. And I think you all know which movie I'm talking about. Oh, dear. I'm talking about Bat Nipples, people. I'm talking about Batman and Robin from the year of Our Lord, 1997, by Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher himself. And it's a movie where Schumacher has been openly mocked, even in the Batman animated series, where a character who is very flamboyant and whose father is a shoemaker goes on saying that the Batman outfit should be this and this, and they oh. make fun of the kid. <laughs> they openly acknowledge did he ever talk about why he wanted the nipples? Was that ever like a plot point? <laughs> a plot point about nipples? Well, not a plot point, but like because uh, bats have nipples, you like, know, the bats. I, like I, I, it's funny because now, right now, with my creative mind, I could just envision like two suits, one <laughs> fine and one with nipples, and he's just like, I don't know. There's something about that one. I'm really needs digging. More more, needs more nip nips. I mean, I, even as a kid, I was like, do the do your nipples go in the molds? Like, is, <laughs> is it is it a is it like direct uh, measurements where you just pop everything where it's supposed to go? How does this work? Batman, Batman and Robin is a movie that on my initial viewing, I never finished it for two years. Wow. Yeah, it was that bad. This was a movie where I'm watching it. I marathoned because I had gotten like the box set two years prior and I didn't get to touch it until two years later. Uh-huh. And I got watched Batman, Batman Returns. And again, these were all for the first time. Yeah. 2007 was my first time viewing this stuff. Oh, wow. Batman Forever. I'm like, oh, a little Batman out. Watching the movie and I'm hearing the incessant puns. And The Marvelous is a show where we're known for our incessant puns. You guys are pretty good at it. Yeah. And I'm fine with dad jokes and puns. I love that. But when I'm hearing these puns from Batman, it's pissing me off after yeah. a while. And it's just so over the top. And again, I'm a diehard Adam West fan. Adam West is my like my introduction to Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, watching it on WPIX Channel 11. Like, that's my era with Batman. Mm-hmm. And seeing all this, I'm watching the movie. I took it out of my Xbox 360. <laughs> ejected it immediately. And I go, nope. I mean, F it. Batman died. He just died. This is how yeah. the movie ends. I'm done. I'm done. It, it's 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 pretty bad and it, it again it's one of those movies that makes you think why did it take the turns that it took because um it plays a lot into batman and robin fighting about yeah. uh robin wanting more agency and stuff um mcgregor syndrome uh alfred has mcgregor syndrome That's oh what's yeah killing him. it's mcgregor syndrome the only reason why i know i remember that so clearly is because i love what I call comic book redemption, when they take something silly and they, they try to apply it in something that actually is successful. They gave Iris West's mom McGregor syndrome in the Flash television show. She, yeah. she also had McGregor. So the idea that this is running rampant in DC's universe is this disease. I mean, that it's Nora also Freeze, that and also women being stuffed in refrigerators. You that's know? it. That's true. You have Nora Freeze in this. Um, you get Heart of Ice. I mean, it's one of the most loved Batman animated series uh, um, plot points and one of the most beloved and world-renowned uh, villain origin stories, and they just kind of they squander it. Yeah, they, they absolutely squander it. Um, they they made Mister Freeze like crystallized in a lot of panels. He's like like it's glittery. It, <laughs> I don't know if that's that, like an ice that thing because in, that indicates ice. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if that's an ice thing or not. I I 
think that they failed by not getting those red goggles, bro. Those red goggles is what you need. You need those. You need those. I know you guess you can't cover up his face. They didn't really want him in that. He looked like a Power Rangers villain in that. Oh, outfit. everyone looks like a Power Rangers villain in this movie. Even the heroes. Yeah. And you also have Bane, my close personal friend Bane. Yes. He shows up the living pits. And, and he is he's dumb as a doornail. Played by the late great professional wrestler Jeep Swenson. Yes, and he is huge. That guy is huge. He's built like a Jeep. You got what's his name is it? The Fer- the Pharaonic Man is the uh, Woodrow is the is the doctor. So it's like flourishes. I always forget that's him, yeah. It is flourishes of, of, of greatness here. And he is from the prison. That guy was from prison. So that that makes sense. But then Brain Dead Bane, like he, there's never there's literally ne- no interpretation where he doesn't he isn't a genius or a master tactician or, you know, some kind of like really in in that they want, they wanted him to be a generic heavy, and it didn't work. If you want to do a generic heavy with somebody, do Clayface. But I understand. It's 1997. You don't have the technical aspects, and the, or you have the technical limitations at that time where that can't be done. Yeah, but you just said it, and one name came to mind, and it would have worked. You do Solomon Grundy. Boom. Yeah. You yeah. do Solomon Grundy, and you can still do the same the same dialogue, right? Because he was basically a vampire. Bane, ready, and all that kind of You do the same stuff. Solomon, Solomon Grundy. Grundy. That's Born it. On a Monday. And we haven't yep. seen him in movies yet. You bring you bring Solomon Grundy in, and you kind of probably could have tied that in with the with the uh, Pamela Isley, you know, bringing life to plant stuff. You could you all could have came together with that, but there was no thought process with it. And I'd have been down with that. Um, I remember this movie having a scene in it that changed how I viewed the first four forever, which is a scene where Batman is like on. He fell like on a bunch of. He's sitting like on a bunch of um, sandbags. I, they're full of something. I forget. And, full um, of hot air. Hey. There you go. Hey, I like that. And then uh, Poison Ivy comes in, and throughout this movie, she's just blowing stuff in their faces. They don't care. They're not like trying to move away or cover their faces. They're all just taking in all these pheromones. But when he's when Poison Ivy talks to um, George Clooney's Batman. Is the first time I noticed that Batman cannot move his neck. And so he has to move his entire body <laughs> to face her <laughs> and talk to her. And that broke my image of that costume for years because I was like, oh, snap, he really can't turn. He really can't move his neck. And then they talk about it in Batman Begins or in Dark Knight. He's like, I would like a costume that I can move my neck in, please. If you can, That's good. If you can get to it. Because even in Batman Begins, he can't move his neck. He still has a one-piece cowl neck thing. And uh, I was like, man. And isn't it funny, you see cosplayers able to do it, and yet they can't do it on a major level. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And in this film, we get a lot of, like, glowy gadget stuff. Like, it's all... Very, again, it's very colorful. It's very reminiscent of the Adam West era, but they miss the mark on what made the Adam West era so great. And if if you're trying to do this, then just put Adam West in there with, you know, the, the flabby suit and everything. Go for it. Go for that. Yeah. But here's one thing about this movie that I do surprisingly feel is good mm-hmm. and not many people feel this way george clooney was a good bruce wayne he was one of the best bruce waynes on film and i've always felt bad that he apologizes for this role he did suck as batman yeah don't get me wrong but again it's the writing if he had a better writer if he had a better director could have been off to the races he would have been perfect as batman you do get some sincere scenes with him and alfred yeah uh, where he feels like Alfred might pass, and you know this is a father figure, so that was I thought that was very um, poignant. I thought that was cool, uh, but I my problem with it is there's so many times where you just see something and you're just like where 
did that come from? There's like a weird dance with uh, Poison Ivy as a gorilla. She's like seducing people. <laughs> and you just like, what? What is, what is that about? Rubber lips. That's how they do the feet. Poison Ivy. They just wear and rubber of course, lips. Let's pull up the nostalgia critic. A bat credit card? Bat credit card. Bat credit card, bat butt. Don't leave the cable um, out. Bat skates. You get bat ice skates that pop out on command. Um, the bat the Batmobile is blue in the inside now, or I think that may have started in forever, where they put the ribs on the Batmobile and you have all the, it's glowing from the inside or something like that. The um, Batgirl just joins the team and all of a sudden they all have Arctic themed suits that yeah. come out of nowhere because I'm uh, from Batman Forever, Alfred is the tailor. So he was just going at it making suits for the jungle, suits for the Arctic, suits for all that stuff, I guess. And they um the whole half the world freezes and then unfreezes and everything everybody's fine. And I don't think that's how ice works. I think that no, <laughs> I think you can't just freeze people and dog I think one dog goes to go pee on a hydrant, gets frozen, and then unfrozen, he's alive, he's fine, everything's everything's gangbusters. And not to mention that you have one person trying to freeze the entire world and another person trying to have the plants inhabit the entire world. And those things do not go together uh, so whatsoever. And maybe that was supposed to be the joke. Like, eventually they were going to turn on each other. But I don't think they were that smart. I think they were legitimately just trying to have these two people. Let's let's team up. It's, again, just a movie that the main purpose of that movie was to sell toys. That's all it was. Same with Batman Forever. Yeah, because I heard that they didn't do so well with the toy sales for uh, Returns. Yeah, which returns a lot of people think there's people that say that that's movie. the worst uh, Batman movie, but Returns came out right around the time I was born, and so I've seen that movie 800 million times, and so I have a soft spot for even the corniest parts of that film because it's one of those things for me. My me favorite moment from Returns is him talking to uh, Danny DeVito, Penguin talking to Christopher uh, Walken, mm-hmm. and just the line of. How's your old friend, Fred Atkins? Oh, well, Fred, he's, he's on vacation. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm Fred's hand. <laughs> yeah, he is Fred's hand. <laughs> and I, like, that's been a recurring joke with my best friend and I for like the past 15 years. And every time I bring that up, I always think of uh, me recounting that story to Michael Uslan, the uh, producer of the Batman movies. I met oh, him. Oh, he loves Batman. He, he's why he... Batman is the way he is now. Yeah. And he, you know, I recounted that story and like, Face of stone, man. He did not care about oh. my story, <laughs> and I'm like, oh. No, I th- yo, I think that that stuff is hilarious. I think another running joke in that in that franchise of those first four films is um that Commissioner Gordon is the worst cop <laughs> ever. There's a scene in Forever where Nigma kills his boss. He throws him off the like balcony thing. Gordon is Porky Pig. Yeah, and so Gordon shows up, and um uh uh Nigma writes a fake suicide note in his penmanship and all that stuff. Gordon looks at the note and goes, well, it was obviously a suicide. And that's <laughs> it. And that's it. In Batman Returns, they find a Batarang. And he goes, well, we found this at the scene, so it's obviously Batman. Well, we're looking for Batman. He, Everything is like open and shut case. We, we figured it out. And I'm like, this is the worst. Com-. When you see what Gary Oldman ends up doing, I'm like, wow. They actually care about the character here. In this, he legitimately is Porky Pig. J.K. Simmons, though, is... He's from what we've seen. We haven't seen much, but yeah, I dig his uh, Gordon. But I do wish he was back as Jonah. Yes, Demanding I do wish because now because now we've been away for Jonah J, J Jonah uh, since the third one, since Spider Man Three. We yeah. haven't had a, a single 
There wasn't one in uh, Homecoming. There wasn't one in Spider Verse. Well, technically, he was in Spider Verse. And fun fact: that version of Joan at the end of uh, Spider-Verse, oh, at the end of post credit, <laughs> yeah, that's actually Stan Lee. Wow. Yeah. That's He's wanted cool. to play Stan. He wanted to play Stan Lee. His or Stan Lee wanted to play Stan Lee. People, I don't know if you know. Yeah. He wanted to play Jonah for his whole life. So he finally got. Oh, the I think I remember him saying that, and he, that's why he made him like kind of brash and kind of and kind of. Uh. Well, we got our five out of the way. Um, there's some ones that people would call disappointing because of uh, you know, like some of these movies can be successful. And still be a, dis- a bit disappointing. How do you feel about um, the criticism that Dark Knight Rises is a disappointing sequel to Dark Knight? I can understand why people would say it's that, but when you're making a film after the tour de force that Heath Ledger was in that film, yeah, of course anything after is going to be a disappointment, right? No matter what, like unless you have, you know. What's his name? The guy who he was in. I drink a milkshake. Him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, unless you have him, I can't remember his name right yeah. now offhand. It's like killing me. I'm going to remember. Is afterwards. it um, Bardem? No, not Bardem. Although he would have made a great Joker. Yeah. He actually would have made a great Bane, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, not there will be, uh, I'm thinking there will be blood. Oh, um, he played Lincoln. Yes. What's his name? He's in Cowboys and Aliens. No, he's not in Cowboys and Aliens. No. That's, a, that's a homeboy from uh, uh, James Bond. This is gonna be killing me, but yeah, just overall, he—I don't even know where I was going with this thought. But you he, said you saying he would be—he would have been a better uh, villain. He would have played a better Joker. I mean, no, 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 not a better Joker, but like he could have been like a villain in the follow-up of you know, after Dark Knight, and he Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis, yeah. You have an actor like him, throw him in, you know, afterwards. It'll just be as good as, you know, a Ledger performance, but just the idea of anything after Ledger's performance, people are going to be taking note of, like, oh, it was good, but it wasn't uh, Heath Ledger over there. Yeah. So any character, like Tom Hardy's Bane was a good Bane. Like, yeah, it was. I lo- and I love, you know, the crab face. I love the whole... <laughs> yeah. But... Let's not stand on ceremony here. Um... Yes, yeah, so that that gets uh, maligned. How do you feel about Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer? I've actually never seen that one. I've, Have you seen the first Fantastic Four or I the did, not the first? Uh, well, we go with the second Fantastic Four, but it's the first that actually got released. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not that great. No, to be honest, a lot of the uh, Fox movies are just like we're trying to see what sticks to the wall, and that's a ex- prime example of it. More modern. I was disappointed when. And this is probably going to break some hearts. I was kind of disappointed in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Really? I actually, yeah. That was a movie I saw three times in theaters. Once I, in 2D, 3D, and IMAX. I've seen it a handful of times. I, I, maybe I wonder if it doesn't have enough Paul Rudd in it. Because I love Paul Rudd. The, uh, Bobby Newport? He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the greatest. Um, Bobby Newport. Uh, Bobby Newport. Uh, I just, I felt like, I felt like sometimes in the sequels, they go, well, we got the main character down, so now we have to get everybody else ready. But he's still there's a reason why he's still the main character. And I felt like that pulled away a little bit. And then I've said again, Age of Ultron. I don't think Age of Ultron was a great Avengers movie. I, and it's supposedly the movie that broke Josh Whedon. So, um, really? Yeah, he like left Twitter distressed on the... Because um, um, the, it was studio interference. So like, you got to put yeah. this in, you got to put that in. That's the movie that has Thanos in it um, that says, I'll do it myself. 
but that makes no sense canonically because he has an Infinity Gauntlet already and he doesn't go get the Infinity Gauntlet until Infinity War. So there's a lot of that stuff. Killing Quicksilver was weird to me. Um, <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what happens with Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. The Russo seem to be no, uh, seem to know what they're doing with that. Rumor and innuendo has it stated that we might be seeing him one more time. If we're going to comic book properties, some people have said the uh, the movie that got a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes from 1993, TMNT3, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, that is the worst. <laughs> oh, my God. That movie. That. Okay, Where they so, go to Japan. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I would always watch that movie. I would have it like repeatedly played growing up. Yeah. And watching that movie. Oh, I would always hope it would get better every viewing, but I was like, this movie still sucks. Like, even four-year-old me is watching, you just like, this is this terrible. This is not the best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you got, you know, uh, comic book property. Yeah. Considered a comic book sequel. And oh, that, oh, man, I should have thrown that in my top, because that's, <laughs> oh. That's up there. Yeah, that's definitely up there. Um, I haven't seen it, but there is a Crow sequel that legitimately has terrible. 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, but, um. The one that, that I guess caused a little bit more trouble is uh, Crow City of Angels from 1996, 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, All of the Crow sequels are terrible. It was made It was made by Miramax and uh, $13 million, but it ended up making $17 million, so I guess it's not that bad. Uh, we have to talk about Son of the Mask. <laughs> a movie that I've luckily avoided this whole time. I haven't seen it either, but I've seen... Bits of it, Loki is in it. The God of Mischief is in it, played by um, Alan Cummings, who played Nightcrawler. And um, I don't know why Loki, I guess Loki's in the lore of the mask, and Loki is public domain because it's Norse mythology. Yeah. So uh, he's in there. But um, Jamie Kennedy, bringing back the mask, bringing back the mask where anyone but Jim Carrey is troublesome. At least troublesome. And this you was have... during a time when Jim Carrey refused to do sequels to his movies. Yeah. Unless it really had a great script, and... We and saw it, how Dumb and Dumberer came out. So that you know, Mask is a dark horse property. This film, um, it costs between. And this is always the fun part, right? Because if you don't have an exact number, it's probably the higher number. But it costs between eighty four and one hundred million dollars. Oh my god! And it made fifty nine million dollars <laughs> with a Rotten Tomato score of six percent. It may be one of the worst. Uh, I always feel bad for Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy was a very interesting person. Like you have Malibu's Most Wanted, which is a really funny, I like and underrated movie. Wanted, yeah, but then you know he's trying to coast off of that, and, and he had the experiment, the Jamie Kennedy experiment, where he had his own show, and then it kind of there was like this weird moment, there was this weird glimmer of light of Jamie Kennedy, and then it just kind of I always. I always find it funny. I did a tweet one day making fun of Jamie Kennedy from a quote from a podcast, quoted it and put it up. And I didn't tag Jamie Kennedy, but he was it vanity searching him? himself. Wow. And it got to him. And he liked the tweet. And I'm just like, oh, Jamie. Oh, uh, how far are we falling? Um, uh, Thor 2? Issues? Problems? Concerns? Yeah. yeah. It's, again, just a very, it's, it's an okay movie, but it's just so boring. It's yeah, very, I, very boring. It has hints of um, it has hints of the beginning of the humor that you end up seeing in stuff like Ragnarok, but I don't think it has enough, and it also doesn't have enough of the lore stuff, and it also really, really hinges on Loki. Like yeah. it's one of those movies. It's like we know you love Loki, so here's all the Loki we can Loki, and so uh, and they weren't they weren't even at all low key about it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Another one is Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, which you recently just saw. I just saw Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. This movie was fifty-seven. It took. Uh, it cost fifty-seven million to make, and it made one hundred and twenty. I mean, one hundred and thirty. Oh uh, yeah, one hundred and thirty-two. Well, it's so, Nicholas Cage as Ghost Rider, and he's going to be Johnny Blaze, and he's going to. Oh, <laughs> that's a pretty good Nick Cage. My head's on fire. <laughs> uh, what is it? Um, he says. Uh, why is there wind in here? We're in a cave. The oh. wind follows <laughs> everywhere and I go. Everything smells like rain. <laughs> everywhere I go, the wind follows. I like drinking egg creams and punching Nazis. <laughs> I, I don't understand this, <laughs> but I will. Purple, blue. <laughs> oh, he's he's. I'm taking this thing with me. Uh, Man, this uh, last really, year really was a great year for Nick Cage with comic book movies, where he yeah. was in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, and he was finally good. playing Superman. Yes, you know, finally playing Superman after not being in Superman uh, Returns. It was uh, the death of Superman. Li- well, he was in. He's Superman gonna be Superman Lives. Lives. Was gonna be the one. Superman Lives. Yes. And then yes, yes. the great uh, John Schnepp did a documentary about it called yeah. "The Death of Superman." Rest Lives. in peace. Man, he he was super nice to me. I met him at New York Comic Con, I believe, twenty fifteen or sixteen. Okay. Class act all the way. Yeah, he seems like a genuine guy. Um, but yeah, he Nick Cage finally got to do that. So, Spirit of Vengeance. I liked it back um, in the day. It it definitely has the charm of realizing that the entire Ghost Rider thing is kind of crazy, so it definitely goes in that way. But there's a lot of weird directorial missteps, like shaky cam, where it probably doesn't need to be shaking cam. At one point, Ghost Rider gets hit with a grenade launcher, and it hurts him. And I, that's the first time I've ever seen that I happen. Got a boo boo. Yeah, so I was like, wait, that can ha- that happens? I guess I don't bullets can't hurt him, but I guess that can. At one point, he makes the uh, crane into a chainsaw. A, f- a flaming a chainsaw. Crane saw. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, it. I'm telling you, everybody's gonna love it. It's a, cr- it's a <laughs> crane saw. They, uh, they, they tell you. They, they answer the question that you want to know. Does fire come out when he pees? They do a whole. They, I remember. Oh they do an entire scene about that, about fire coming out when he pees, and that he's trying to save the the son of Satan. I guess is what's going on there. Um, it's it's fine. I don't think. It is kind of terrible, but they at least people are having fun in it. Where I yes, felt like the, the first one, I remember Blackheart from is it Blackheart from um, I believe it is yeah from Marvel versus Capcom, and he was this Same. big dreadlocky Same. demon creature. And when he shows up in that movie, he's just a pale faced Twilight actor. And I'm like, well, Blackheart made his debut originally in Daredevil. Oh wow, Blackheart I believe is a Annie Nascenti character, and it's weird that that character got so much traction to even be in a Marvel versus Capcom video game. Right, yeah. Well, I had a, a Mingo in it, too, that cactus. So I guess people would just... Oh my God. People might have been buying their way onto that game. That game was amazing. <laughs> that Now, that's a good sequel. Yeah, that, see? That's a good sequel. But I heard that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is not. Oh, it is terrible. Which hurts me, because I initially wanted to get it and have the money for it. And then everyone was like, it's not that great. So I was like, I'll just play Injustice 2. I'll wait. I waited until it got docked down to uh, $20. Okay. And, uh, and and what what time. What is so bad about it? It's just... It's more, I guess, for me, the uh, development of it all. The whole, hey, we are not going to put the X-Men because we don't believe people remember the X-Men. That's that was my favorite line and... That's garbage. Tornado Claw is half of that game. Yeah. <laughs> Berserker Barrage. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Deadpool in Ultimate 3 and regular 3 was, like, my favorite part of it. Just right down to using the uh, health bar as a weapon. Yeah. Pineapple Surprise. Oh, that's oh my great. God. But remember, no one remembers Deadpool either because they took him out of the game. 
Oh my god! No I, I always that. thought that was like a weird Marvel trying to kill the X Men off of everything kind of deal. Because remember, that's when the Inhumans were like really big, and we're like, we're not talking about the, the mutants anymore. It's all about the Inhumans. It's like Mean Girls where they're trying to make uh, fetch a thing. Stop that's trying right. to make, the inhumans, trying to make the inhumans a thing. And I, you know, it's funny. I went and I did all the deep dives to be ready for Inhumans, and that ended up not being that great. The the show, and. Then they seem to have doubled back down on the X Men. They're like, oh, screw it. All the X Men are back. Yeah. <laughs> back in there better than ever. And, we had and I'm X-Men like, wow. Gold. We had X Men Gold and Blue and just phenomenal stuff from that. But they Our- had the X Men fight the Inhumans. They did, they did all that. They built brand new super, uh, heroes that were Inhuman. Um, and they eventually didn't take it to where it where they thought it was going to go, which shows that sometimes capitalizing on a good film or a good idea or a good comic is not as easy as some people uh, think it is. And we know that you guys probably have your picks and probably are quite upset at some of ours. Well, remember, uh, people, it's all right to like a movie. Exactly. Like the movies that you like and fight me uh, in person if you don't. If, I guess <laughs> so you can do we'll that. We'll give the addresses. That's it. Oh my god, that's one of the time. That's one of the parts I hated about Iron Man three. He gets his whole address, and then when he gets bombed. <laughs> he's like, "Where's this coming from?" I'm like, you're the one who just you literally just told everybody where you live. Oh yeah, I did. Like, oh uh, man, that sucks. Um, but wow, it was fun talking about some of the, the hell yeah. best of the worst or the worst of the worst. Uh, so that's pretty awesome there. But if you like the kind of stuff that we do here as part of uh, the Major Issues Podcast, you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. It's Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Google Play, the Apple Podcast app. Um, and if you have an iPhone, there's already an app pre-installed onto your phone. There's a podcast app. Just search in the search bar, Major Issues Podcast, and we pop right up. If you don't want to go do any of that trouble, just go to Google Major Issues Podcast, and we are the first result. And I'm quite proud of that. Probably because we're the only major issues podcast, but it works. Go ahead and get yourself uh, one of those podcasts and listen to our humongous backlog of all the greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Do us a favor and uh, rate and review once you're there because that's the quickest way for us to get new followers and for us to know what we're doing right as podcasters here because it is so much fun that sometimes it doesn't even feel like work. So let me know uh, if there are some things that we need to work on as part of a podcast uh, because we are ready for that. You can reach this show in particular at Major Issues CBC on the Twitter machine. But majority of the Major Issues branding takes place underneath Comic Book Click, which you can find at Facebook.com slash Comic Book Click, Instagram at Comic Book Click, or use the hashtag Comic Book Click to come up with the latest, greatest, hottest things to come to comic books and comic book media. And that's where majority of this talking uh, is taking place. But... Peter, I know you are a co-host of a very fine podcast. Go ahead and let the people know. Well, first off, you can find The Marvelists on the Twitter at The Marvelists. You can find us on Instagram at The Marvelists. You can find us at Facebook <laughs> at Facebook.com with our 11,000 plus likes. Oh, my God. I can't believe I amazing. can say that. Amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's spectacular. It's ultimate. It's Marvel team up. It's astonishing. It's, <laughs> it's astonishing. It's two in one. <laughs> Anyway, the 80 page giant. Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Also, listen to us on all the other same platforms. We're not in Google Play, though. It's a pain in the ass to do Google Play. Like, yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. We did Spotify. Uh, oh, we're on Spotify. Are, yeah, well. check us both out on Spotify. This is, uh, we're, we're trying to be where you guys are. All these new kids are listening to all these newfangled apps. We're trying to uh, branch out into all that stuff there. You can also find me on Twitter at Peter Melnick. On Instagram at Peter Melnick once again, and I have a new Facebook page. 
It's facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. Give me a like ski on there. And well, we'll go ahead and put those links also in the show notes for those who are a little bit less technologically inclined. So you guys can get a dose of the marvelous. I'm telling you, once you get a little sip, you're going to want some more. Those guys really know what they're talking about and really have some great production values, some great um, insight on these characters that I've said have lasted decades. It takes a fresh take to want to hear people talk about some of these characters because you've heard a million things from a million between YouTube and other podcasts. But I'm telling you, The Marvelous is where they're at. Uh, and they do deep dives on movie series. So it's cool to see both uh, your new take and uh, Eddie's old take on some of these characters because he is a traditionalist in a lot of ways. And oh, to yeah. hear how he speaks about um, his first interaction with these characters is quite the insight. And you can actually check Eddie on Instagram at Eddie... Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, there we go. Instagram <laughs> at Eddie9193. And he has some hilarious photos. He, he takes. He is a sport. I can tell you that first and foremost. He is a ham and he is a sport. He is and, fun. And he uh, he brings me much joy. I've seen um, some of his cosplays and I've seen how you guys get ready for some of your episodes. And it is indeed a treat. So like I said, go over, uh, check out The Marvelous. Uh, check out more episodes of Major Issues and probably don't check out any more comic book movie sequels because they uh, get pretty bad. They kind of do, by the third. <laughs> by the third. What that's up, the... X-Men Apocalypse? Yeah, I'm not going to make a third podcast. I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to hop over all that. But my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I'm Peter Melnick. And this has been the worst comic book movie sequels, I guess, of all time. And uh, whether or not you were... Uh, a terrible, terrible Venom because you used to be on that 70s show. Whether or not you won't talk to David S. Goyer and you want to be driven on set and be called Blade. Uh, whether or not you're Josh Trank and you destroy a, a house. You destroy you destroy a house that people bought for you to be in there. Come on, Josh. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, Josh. Or whether you have bat nipples. Remember that we are the clique and you, yes, you are worthy. <laughs> <laughs>